1: Take back my
2: life Take back my life Did you see that there was there was a tweet storm this week of just like so after the whole Donna Brazil thing went down, yeah. somebody on the campaign was just like about how they're like, no, we loved, like we loved it all the time, and it's just all these pictures of them like look at us having so much fun, and it's just like them at it was just a complete cult meeting of at, at an office cult meeting. Who the Democrats? No, the, the Hillary campaign people, like where it's like they're the, the trying to dispute Donna Brazil's thing, and I'm like. I don't know if you're realizing this, but you are completely corroborating everything Gerontana Brazil said yeah. <laughs> where it, like um and i you know I, I watched some of the interviews with her, and it they were i have mixed feelings about them but um I feel like she's kinda also trying to cover her own ass a little bit.
3: Yeah, she wants to get a job with uh, our revolution going forward now. Married, she's yeah. she,
2: they're they're the horse to bet on a twenty twenty. But the but the but the best part was there was that like they had an office like this is our fight song sing along and it was almost oh, yeah. and it was like you know, you ever see that? You ever watch that documentary about Walmart and they have like the Walmart like Cheers in the morning or whatever? It was no. like it was like that though. Oh it was like, so there's a documentary about Walmart where it's like they have a meeting of all the Walmart people Wait, and they, so do, they Sorry, go on, yeah. No, that's just about it. It's just like it's just as cultish and as like fuck as sick as you'd imagine. Well, cult-
3: but I mean like companies can be cultish. Are you saying that they made them sing specifically fight
2: song in the morning? I don't know if they made them. <laughs> They're just like, it's just a group of a hundred people all just like doped up on sodium pentothal. Be, <laughs> be like, hey, my, my um, Well, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, Infinity License episode 20.
1: 20.
3: Uh, I'm Lenny DeFranco. I'm Brian Pisano. And this is our fight song. Fast forward, we lost that fight. Uh, <laughs> turns out, uh, much like in a fight when they go low at your sciatic nerve uh we go high uh, at their well defended head you lose the fight and you are crippled so yep. that's what we're uh what we're doing in this episode is something a little different um
2: i'm very excited about this
3: yeah i'm really excited about it too so uh it's november 8th right now and uh uh, it, uh, November 8th, 2017. It's important to, to, we to should, mention. We should, you know,
2: we talked about this. You know what, the picture from us in college, that should be the cover of this episode.
3: Yeah, that's that was, yeah, you're right. That was exactly uh, nine years ago on, um, so the picture that's accompanying this, if you're listening to it on... Uh, SoundCloud. Well, on SoundCloud, you can see the picture. If you're yeah. listening to it on iTunes or go to sound, or Stitcher, go, go to SoundCloud. Press like and subscribe or whatever the hell you're supposed to do. Please yeah. uh, give us more listens. But, um but on SoundCloud is a picture of us uh, that was taken on o- Obama's election night, 2008, uh, November 7th, or 4th, November 4th. November 4th, I think it was. And, um, or whenever it was. It was that night, and uh, we were so young and idealistic, and uh, uh, yeah, the world was crazy then, too. I
2: mean, we were going through a huge crisis. We were going and, through a huge crisis, but there was... You know what there was in the air, Lenny? Hope. Hope. Yeah. It was hope. Shepard I Shepard Ferry had made a poster that we all loved as... As stupid millennial college students, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I,
3: th- you know what's funny is that the, um, the sort of naive, guileless love that I had for Obama back then, I still, I can't get rid of that. Like he's yeah. gonna have to well, really, really fuck up and totally pivot to be a cynical manipulator. In order he's to, also know, a, a hometown hero him. for us. Oh, he is totally, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I actually ha- had a memory uh, recently that, um, this girl Dara. Uh, who else shot shout Dara Carroll. Her name is Dara Carroll. Uh, she is a good memory involving her. Dara, if you're out there, what's up? I haven't talked to you in ten years, but um, she was uh, involved in. Um, well, so first of all, I'm from uh, River Forest, but I'm from, but mostly Oak Park, Illinois, and Ob- which is a, a liberal hotbed outside of Chicago, immediately <laughs> outside of Chicago on the west side, and um, Obama was a rising politician, and uh, he'd already made a name for himself, and in like 2004. Um, and I think even earlier than that, he was pretty active in Oak Park. He was, he was seen frequently around town. And uh, I remember uh, I, when I was in high school, everyone was obsessed with him. Like, he was a huge yeah. name. So it was literally like a local hero who became president. Well, he, that was and his I, big
2: moment in the John Kerry uh, or the... Dem- in 2004, yeah. The, the, the Democratic, DNC, yeah. yeah.
3: And yeah. I was actually recording an album with my band at the time. Shout out to someone else, uh, our band Orange Cone. Yeah. We had one song about how we felt like we shouldn't be pressured to drink.
2: <laughs> Speaking of, I think I'm going to get another beer. <laughs> Go ahead.
3: So, yeah, so Dara Carroll was involved in, uh, she was just kind of a, you know, volunteering in soup kitchens and stuff or and, and other things of the like. And I was obsessed with Pete Townsend then, uh, as I still am. And uh, I had sent him something to get signed, like a, I sent him a, union jack flag and a cd cover to, so- to get signed along with a letter and he sent it back and i was like oh my god i should like make a business out of uh getting people's autographs for the- from the people that they most admire and i asked dara who would you get it from and i was expecting her to say some celebrity or something and she said barack obama and i was like oh that guy that guy that everyone's talking about i guess it's kind of like basic but that's and that is dara Carroll knew that- this is like 2003 or something or
2: that is some good speculative autographing.
3: Yeah. That is she real should good. have gotten it because my sister met him. Oh yeah, my sister met Obama in the in Peterson's ice cream shop, uh, in Oak Park. She stood in the room with him and he was doing a campaign thing, but like he was just there.
2: And is this like the time I met Bill Clinton in the Starbucks in
3: Chappaqua? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the setup to some uh, far
2: right wing uh, email. No, chain. he's just like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Mocha latte. <laughs>
3: See you later, right. kids. <laughs> uh, so, he- anyway, back to what we're doing this episode. Uh, we are, uh, as of today, celebrating... DJT. Day. DJTJ. Day. D- day DJ DJ TJ. So, uh, this was a baffling moment. Uh, a year ago today, I was... G-
2: Yeah, let's talk about what exactly was going on a year ago today. So a year ago today,
3: I spent the entire day... I spent all of November 8th, 2016. Um, I was walking around. We got the day off because we were supposed to go vote. Uh, Mistake. (laughs) 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 Uh, Do not let the people have their voices heard. It does not always turn out well. Uh, I was walking around all day. Uh, I think it was a warm day as far as I remember. And um, I was listening to... I was just reading a ton. I was really... Casual. Uh, I was listening to podcasts. I was listening to. Uh, I was watching a frontline documentary for like the second time about how excited that was about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, making me excited to have her as president. I was talking to my mom and completely assuaging her, like there's no chance he's going to win. That so many electoral uh, map uh, dominoes would have to fall in a very unlikely way for him to win. And then I uh, later that night I hung out with my friend Tom Quinn. I'm sorry, Tom. Uh, I hung with my friend Tom McKay, who's actually coming on the podcast um, in a couple weeks. Future
2: guest, Tom McKay.
3: Yeah, he he was working at Mike at the time, and I went to the Mike offices uh, for the election, and they had ordered Shake Shack, uh, and they had drinks, and it was going to be a big Hillary love fest. It was
2: it was the it was J- Javits Center. Point 0.5, not yeah. 2.0. Oh, yeah. yeah, this yeah. is
3: the, the center of the the sort of liberalism that makes everyone in the world infuriated because it was in the middle of the World Trade Center built a, a,
2: a tower. Their office was full WTC of WTC1 or WTC7? Which like like the, to- <laughs> the like, I, This is the uh, autistic the big building one. part of it. The big, uh, yeah. One, the bo- one. Yeah. yeah, the, the one, one that war. didn't fall down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the one, one <laughs> that they <laughs> built back up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
3: the middle of World Trade Center 1, and uh, it was like the 80th floor or something like that. And um, that's pretty high up there. Well, whatever, sixtieth. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so it was this newsroom full of these, you know, like very, very successful uh, twenty-three year olds who were telling us, you know, in the rest of the world how we should comport ourselves and what we shouldn't tweet.
2: You were at the epicenter of wokeness. I was at the epicenter
3: of wokeness. This was the crowd that, you know, what? Not only was I at the epicenter of wokeness, but it was also the epicenter of the Venn diagram where where the Bernie enthusiasts, but also the Hillary like Hillary is Bay enthusiasts, kind of met. Um, that was this, and watching that the as the results slowly roll in was quite something to be a part of. It, and it, it was to the, it was something where I was feeling this deep dread. I literally lost my appetite. I mean, I had a, a, a Shake Shack sandwich in front of me, and I couldn't finish it oh, because man. I was so sick with watching. That. I was like, "Oh my god, I fucking one." Virginia, he went, or yeah, or Pennsylvania.
2: Yeah. Did he win? You No, he won. Hillary ne- squeaked out Virginia. Virginia okay, but uh, he, uh, he, he won Florida. Won Pen- they he, he won Florida, Florida Pennsylvania. Um, and, I mean, all the other yeah, ones. I think Michigan went at some but, point. Mi- and, like it was when it was Wisconsin was like when it was. Well, first of all, I knew it was it was dead in the water as because as Ohio goes, so so goes the oh, nation. Oh, Yeah, the Ohio went uh, pretty quickly. Um, so Ohio was over, and then that's when I so. To insert uh, not to cut off your story, right, I'll, well, let let you l- I'll just finish because
3: as as I was, as I watched this, as I watched the the chatter slowly die down in this office, I went from feeling uh, sort of resentful to them to be feeling completely uh, resentful of them just because I'm like this is the, the you know this is the epicenter of this sort of, sort of entitled online journalism bullshit um, to uh, to feeling uh, completely. Ber- Bereft, like I, I, I was, in, I was disconsolate. Everyone was, um, and but I also felt like, man, fuck these people. Like they are not not feeling so high now, are you? All you like little elite girls. Yeah. And uh, they eventually asked all the visitors to to leave because they had to kind of regroup. All their storylines that everyone was, all the stories everyone was working on the whole night was, uh, people had finished articles already that they right. were ready to publish they, they, when they it was appropriate. And they had to start over again, so it was more work for them. They were going to have a late night that night. Everyone was crying. Um, they had a. It was the
2: Dewey Dewey versus Truman kind of, of yeah the internet. totally it, it, yeah like, except yeah. for
3: with the internet age you can you don't have to uh, you haven't hit publish yet yeah. but uh, they had a, a a rallying meeting with the okay our voices are gonna need need to be heard more now than ever like we're gonna be you know it was real emotionally a part of and the reason I bring it up is because it was something that kind of gave me insight into both uh, I, I felt naturally just terrible for Klempt at at the actual news itself. But also, I was sort of voyeuristically being like, "Yeah, fuck these people." Like, I, I'm not ha- unhappy to see them taken down a notch in their surety and that they live coast to their easy lives with.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I, I I had not that experience. I, we hosted, <laughs> w- but we ho- I had a similar feeling. I had a similar sentiment for sure. And I guess I'll tell a quick a quick anecdote. So mine, I was just we just had people over, people, our friends in the neighborhood over to our apartment. Like, let's like let's order some pizza, have some like wine and beers, and watch the results come in. Keep going, keep going. Yeah. Let's get Meg in here. Yeah, Meg. Meg, you want to join us? We're recording right now. You want to come in here real quick? Please.
3: We're talking about election night uh, last year. Hey, we're, we're joined by a special guest, Crooked Meg. Crooked Meg.
2: She's first appearance on the podcast.
3: Yeah. Long time, uh, long time. A long
2: time listener via the living room. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, Crooked Meg. Crooked uh, Meg. What did you, take us through uh, what your experience was like on uh, election night last year, uh, exactly a year ago.
0: Um, Well, we were in this apartment Uh um, with a few friends, Mm -hmm. and we had gotten some champagne. We were anticipating a very different turnout, obviously, and um, we had some pessimists in the room that were predicting things. Who was the pessimist? Well, Kate was the biggest one. Actually,
2: it's kind of funny. Our biggest Hillary supporter <laughs> was, the was the biggest premise, which should have been the indicator from yeah. the whole time. Yeah, she knew. Like, she, she was the one, yeah, that, like, so, yeah. So,
0: uh, yeah, but the optimists were really trying to keep the faith, and um, slowly but surely, um, things unfolded as they did, and uh, people started leaving, the champagne was never opened, unfortunately. Wait, really? <laughs> <I> <laughs> feel yeah, like no, we opened the champagne months later, and I remember being like, ooh, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> I definitely, got,
2: well, here's the thing. John and I definitely opened up a couple extra bottles. Oh, there were go, other like, bottles, <laughs> but it
0: was something symbolic about the cause, champagne. Because I
2: remember, A, showing up to work the next day real hungover. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like,
0: you and I ended up being the last, obviously, men standing yeah. here in this apartment we drank Make a lot we don't use gendered terms right. on this podcast exactly <laughs> um, we ended up drinking a lot and then i remember we went for a walk at like f- 3 or 4 in the morning yeah, and it was pretty late. talked about seceding from <laughs> the union which is also which
2: is also <laughs> the question we were like we were either we got to secede <laughs> or we have to move to another country obviously neither of those have happened i have proposed uh, <laughs> you got to move to long island for a secession talk yeah. <laughs> well i,
3: I mean,
0: mean We'll we'll be bruising that conversation later.
2: (laughs) Crooked Meg. Always trying to get me to move to Long Island. Technically, we are on Long Island right now. (laughs) Geographically, we are on Long Island. Um, It's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks. Well, Welcome to the podcast, Crooked Meg. Yeah, welcome to the podcast, Crooked Meg. A recurring character, Crooked (laughs) Crooked Meg. It's a character... Uh, but yeah, so that was it. And then we got really drunk. Apparently, John Murray, also a future podcast guest to be determined, um, he got so drunk and then went home and said to Kate that, <laughs> long for his significant other, left, and then was like, he stayed and hung out, and then we had like a late night chat on the roof. And then he got, went home apparently really drunk to Kate and was like, all right, that's it. We got to start America too. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> I think we were all
3: thinking stuff like that. I mean, I thought there was going to be like a, you know, Tom was real sad. It was terrible. It was a terrible night. It was... But at the same time, I have to say, watching this happen, it, it, it wasn't just... One of the things I always um, think about whether this will come through when, when future generations look back on this, um, this whole event that happened. And by the way, we're going to do a long episode today uh, because get ready buckle this in is, folks buckle info i mean you can already see what the time is we don't know what the time is going to be but you can yeah. because this is we're, we're doing this basically for posterity i think i think it's important to to ha- capture the oral history of how this happened um i
2: love that you optimistically said this is for our kids i assume this is for some alien species that somehow <laughs>
3: we're not
1: gonna have kids <laughs> exactly. no,
2: it's like the, those kids are not happening there is <laughs> it's just gonna be some whatever alien species comes along and Discovers our, our whatever repository of the internet we left behind, and hopefully this ex- this survives. To yeah,
3: just think they're probably going to upload the internet in like one fell swoop. This will be in it. I mean, but I think it's important to to preserve the oral history of what happened, because the, a, you know, I, when I look back at McCarthyism, you know, I'm like, I don't know what happened. I, I know that it was bad. I know the editorial version of it from having learned it in history class, but I remember talking to my grandmother once who was. Uh, not especially enlightened at any point in her life. Um, and I asked her, so do you have any memories of McCarthyism? And she said, yeah, John McCarthy. Yeah, well, they had a lot of communists in the government. You know, they had to find them. And I was like, that was the first time I was ever like, oh shit, there were, you know, this was a living, logical conclusion to a lot of people you know, that. Right. So well, because
2: of like the media polity at the time and like the, there, there was a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of uh, concurring things going on to convince regular regular folk that. There were con- and actually, there were communists in the government. Well, <laughs> maybe there <were>
3: some, but <laughs> yeah, not, not, I'm sure Arthur Miller wasn't one. of them. Uh, Maybe he was. I don't know. Uh. But um, anyway, th- so the point is, is that making it like just clear what exactly like we lost our mind in this in this oh, yeah. election, and and, and and making sure that that remains clear and like what what actually happened is still a matter of active debate. Um, but I think it's important to to point out that uh, what what I was going to say about the um, th- it was also thrilling. Like watching the entire lead up, uh, watching Trump take on a field and and defeat a field of 16 other Republicans, many of whom were very conservative. Scott Walker, Union Buster, Ted Cruz uh, and Paul and um, Marco Rubio were former Tea Party darlings. Uh, It was not a matter of conservatism. It was something else happening. Right. And uh, Trump had the fewest bona fides of anyone up there. He had the fewest ideas. He was the dumbest. Um, And... well, the whole I, other gamut. I mean, there was Chris Christie, who was a four, probably could have. Some people think could have could have been the nominee in 2012. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. It was the whole gamut of the Republican well, and, uh, you know, recent there's, history that there's he defeated.
2: People, uh, speaking of Chris Christie, me, like people like me who are salivating at just his, oh, his, his demise. Shit, yeah. Um, and his, his n- talk radio th- sports th- career. Now. Yeah, yeah. Which is so yeah. But I think so. I think actually that day we can point to there were two moments in our. I think our generation oftentimes, especially and a lot of people have said this i think growing up especially as children until 911 a lot of us growing up in like a post a post soviet like uh, e- america unipolar hegemony world were like thought were the fukuyama school of thought were like we live in this post history world where it's like we just and the, so besides 911 and the election of donald H- j trump were the were the two biggest reminders that it's like history is an active part of our lives it's yep. not this finite it's not a stasis. It's like we live in we live in a dynamic, not a static world. We live in a place where things can change, and like, and you have to kind of savor whether whether it's institutions or things that you value or whatever. It's like they're not permanent fixtures. They're not permanent.
3: And, and absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, that's exactly the conclusion that I reached at the time. And and not only is is the world changing just ontologically, like as a matter of necessity, everything in the universe changes, but also it felt like such a violation on election night that this. This you know complete uh, aber- aberration should become should enter the same office that like Lincoln and Roosevelt and Washington had held, and the thing that it made me realize was, that never more. I mean, I've never been an originalist or anything, but never more have I realized that this is an ongoing experiment, the way that Abraham Lincoln thought of it. Yeah, and it was it's intentionally open ended, and anything can happen. This is by design, and so it made me sort of. Romantic for the idea of America, even as I was watching its population make this horrible decision. Because I was like, man, this shit is not set in stone. Yeah, this is all. And that I, at the end of this episode, we're gonna kind of give, I think, final takes on on Trump, and and I'm gonna factor that in to mine because I think that the constantly protean nature of uh, that this country was was founded, the spirit of, of constant change, of constant re- reinvention. I've never felt that more. I've never felt more authentically democratic than when Donald Trump got elected.
2: Yeah. Um, it also, I mean, like, it wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah, it wasn't supposed to happen, but it also did kind of. As much as I was disappointed in in that outcome, it did kind of reinvigorate and reignite something in me where I was like, oh yeah. Well, it also reignited something in me. It's like, oh yeah, the presidency isn't reserved for this just like media like groomed person, which is like what Hillary and I guess what what Hillary was was she was just. Hillary Clinton probably, I think, might have been president in 1996. Like, I think yeah. they could, they, they could have just that media class of people had like a golden age from like in the post-Soviet age to about 2004. They they had this like kind of golden age where the only w- the only channel information was CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and then like CBS, ABC, and those kind of things. So mainstream media channels, and then uh like in the so she had this window i think and for between like 1992 and 2004 uh, in uh, where she like the n- the norms and institutions of our society were like upheld by a media class that only like lived in this like kind of this kind bubble of uh, insulator. bubble insulator but now we just live in this like flat like like pepe the frog is part of our Common cultural yeah. consciousness. it has the, the internet <laughs> totally has flattened everything. Yeah, so it's flattened everything in a way that it's like, well, now it's like, so it's given also, but emboldened me in this way. It's like, okay, well, technology has shaped our lives now, and it uh, and it doesn't matter that you have to be this like person who is groomed and has all these credentials by the media classes It's like, no, you can just you can be an asshole like over over leveraged billionaire who <laughs> who builds gold towers or just be like a regular person. And, totally, and, yeah, and like Randy Bryce or whatever, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what we're going to do in this
3: episode is uh, something a little bit different. We're going to, we, we're, the, the idea of where Trump came from and how he became president is still a matter of active debate. Um, we're going to try to find out what the real answer is. And the way we're going to do that is because there are many, many factors that went into uh, this outcome. We've laid out. We've tried to identify a number of them. We've got 16. We actually got 17. We laid them out in a March Madness bracket. And we're going to just compete them against each other until we find out the one true uh, reason that Trump got elected. So let's get to the bracket. Okay, so I guess we'll start off by reading off the titles of all of these different reasons why Trump got
2: elected. Uh, Brian, go ahead. All right. So here are the categories. So here's the matchups, everybody. No seeds. We're just going straight anarchy. Complexity, Democrats completely out of touch, ecological disasters, racism, a <laughs> uh, complete fluke, uh, the rise of extremism, uh, minorities and their lack of voting. Uh, what's the play-in category, Lenny? Uh, where? But down on the bottom left. Here. What's the play-in? Yeah. Play it. The play-in one. The, the, oh,
3: play-in. the play-in. oh the play oh uh, the play the. Donald Trump is the is a hobo's version of rich person versus anyone but Hillary would have won,
2: and whoever wins that has to. That's our play. We'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Then stability, Lave, (laughs) Lave, (laughs) Anton Lave, Anton Anton Lave, global nationalism, the rise of global nationalism, Uh, PC culture. Uh, uh, We we live in a cultural wasteland. Um, the internet broke our brains collectively. There's the cult of personality. <laughs> <laughs> or this is a complete protest vote.
3: Yeah, exactly. So we're going to match up these 16, 17 reasons why Trump won against one another and in a bracket system and ultimately uh, find the find the true winner. The one true reason why we have this fucking horrible uh, maniac narcissist, uh, downing Two Scoops. In uh, um, the words
2: of Matt Taibbi. Insane clown president. There you go.
3: <laughs> or as my friend Lawrence once called him, uh, an Armani sock uh, uh, sheathing and unimpressive erection. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, so the first matchup is a play-in round, uh, the way that sort of the MLB like wild card game is, or like that one.
2: Winner go home.
3: Winner go home. Well, these it's all or go home. Oh, for all well, these go home, all these, but these uh, are ambitious reasons.
2: They were fighting for the last sixteen spots. Yeah, this post. this one's
3: fighting for the sixteen. This seat. is a
2: Cinderella story.
3: So first one is the John Mulaney uh, reason. Uh, th- we call it John Mulaney uh, because uh, Brian heard of you've heard of it from John Mulaney. Yeah, first. I think he had a,
2: he had a bit about how like Donald Trump is Donald Trump is the what a homeless person from the '30s would think a rich person is like. So is the idea that people voted for him because he was like they wanted someone who's actually like,
3: I could see that. Like, I, one of my friends said, "Oh, finally a businessman, someone who can get things done." Is that what you mean? But yeah, he's-
2: exactly. So, so to us who live in New York City, the uh, cultural capital of the world, and you know, like, or live in Los Angeles or Chicago or whatever, we under uh, we understand or people that know Donald Trump understand him to be a grifter and reality show television host at best. Yeah. Which I guess you could argue he is a good businessman from the perspective of the entertainment That's industry. That's true. The same way uh, that like, Jessica
3: Simpson was smart for having gotten a lot of viewers to see her be an idiot.
2: Right. Um, you can't argue that Donald Trump, even though he he's the, maybe a smart businessman from a real estate perspective in the way that he completed che- completely cheated the system and was lit running on a infinite credit line his entire life, which we could all do if we threw ethics and, uh, and money out the window. I think we could all be as successful as Donald Trump. Yeah. If you don't count
3: the money you lose, then you're doing well, I suppose.
2: And the, and the, the moral hazard that he received from being bailed out by his family members who are more scrupulous than, than himself, uh, Except for his brother, <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> um, I'll drink to that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's that's just it. It's just like so p- certain parts of the country could perceive him to be a good, bi- finally a good businessman, when he's in actuality just a, a reality he, television star. Yeah, yeah, he's
3: an idiot. Uh, and so the so I uh, the other so that that reason why Trump won is going up against um, anyone but Hillary would have won. This is a pretty straightforward reason. It's the idea that. Um, we're gonna get to all the you know the stuff with the problems of the Democrats later, but this idea is that literally had they won uh, run Martin O'Malley, he would have done better because Hillary was uniquely
2: you know that Tommy Carcetti character was my life. Yeah, O'Malley. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, but so yeah, or like w- Tim Kaine would have won. Tim you know? Kaine would have won. Argument. Martin O'Malley yeah. would have won. I mean, obviously, we we all say this now. Bernie would have won. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily say. I that. know, but I I say it still. And I was a hardcore Bernie supporter, so I'm still gonna yeah, okay. Yeah. But well.
3: <laughs> So maybe I mean it's an open question. Uh, we can have that debate with some. we 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 should have that debate one day on the podcast. We but will. Well, Bernie would have won. We're it's yeah. obviously a cultural uh, icon. out Bernie. Anyway, uh, so I'm going to give that round to the anyone but Hillary. That's a more compelling reason than the the, uh, Mulaney.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I agree. Anyone but Hillary because Hillary was just this person that had forced herself into the American consciousness for too long. If if Hillary. Had this like I said before, if she had the same credentials, but n- had not been first lady and in like this om- and senator and this like omnipresent force in American life, like Kristen Gillibrand would have won. You know, I, mean? yeah. I, I like yeah. you know she she hasn't she doesn't have the same in baggage, but Hillary Clinton did. So it was just you know anybody in the, the Democratic Party could run out there.
3: Okay, our second play in round is uh, between what I'm calling the Levee argument and the and sexism. So Brian, uh, take us through sexism.
2: Sexism is the concept that one sex is better than another sex, and that we are a sexist country, and we were not ready for a lady to be prez because of the periods and all the other stuff,
3: <laughs> and the emotional, and the PMS, and the emotional and the baggage, uh, constant nagging. Uh, can't live with him, can't live under him. All
2: right, Meg. No comment from crooked <laughs> Meg.
3: Krokenbeck does not like that. Uh, I think think sexism actually played a huge role in this. Uh, I think that if Hillary were a man, she was not a a great candidate by any stretch, but um, she, well, actually, that's not true. She was a great candidate in terms of, she understood how the government worked. Uh, I think that, um, I mean, we could certainly talk about this later, but I think that after years of watching Obama kind of find his sea legs, figuring out how to actually be appropriately cynical in getting things done, I was ready for someone who was actually able to advance the legislative agenda. Um, and I would have I would have gone for something like that. And I think that a lot of people probably would have been more down with her if she frankly was not a woman.
2: Honestly, the most complicating or most complex part of the sexism argument to me is, by sheer voting numbers, the amount of women that voted against Hillary. That's a totally fair point. I think
3: you could counter that by saying, uh, you know, the patriarchy is so ingrained that... Um, yeah, it, you know that, that women were not able to see, especially real traditional conservative.
2: I introduced ones. that idea because I'm wrestling with this concept just now. Yeah. It is that is the whole idea? So I think it is a valid it is a valid point. Um, sexism definitely had a, a role to play in it. Its role to the extent that I can pu- I can assess it. I don't know. Um, so let's move on to the uh, Levey argument that it's going up against. Anton
3: Levey was a uh, w- was the founder of the, the Church of Satan, I think. Um, and basically, hail Satan, hail Satan. Th- hail Satan. Uh, the concept of Satanism is not that they worship like the devil, like he's there. It's actually like an Ayn Randian uh, offshoot. It's basically it's like a hyper that, individualistic. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a completely atheistic. It's, it's a um, radically atheistic ideology that says that there is no God, first of all. Second, uh, since there is no God, that means that if we're worshiping God, what we're worshiping is something that someone just made up. And therefore, if we're worshiping made up figments of the imagination, the, you know, no one person has more access to the infinite than anyone else. And so we can anyone could make up God, basically. So therefore, I could make up God. And therefore, if I can make up God, I'm going to choose myself to worship as God. So, um, it, you know, you can make up the idea of Jesus. I'm gonna ma- I'm gonna follow the idea of myself, and therefore I am God. So I now subscribe to a religion where I am God, and my hedonism is this, so the entire purpose of the universe, basically, and the most noble, virtuous thing in the universe. Right. So the idea that it's sort of this Dionysian with like a real edge, like a real four chan edge to it. <laughs> um, and so the idea is basically just that there's so many opinions out there uh, that are talking so loudly that everyone's like emboldened to just go with their id. And listen to what they want, which kind of fractures society. So it's sort of this, like, you know, like Brad Goodman, do what you feel
2: like. Uh, day in, in, we in, cut entire in the entire country, the Brad Good- Goodman, be like boy, be like boy, and then Lisa goes. He's just peddling easy answers, and Carl runs by. Ed, how? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and
3: and then also the entire country a "We like Roy." Yeah, uh, <laughs> because they were mishearing. Yeah. So the idea is basically just that, like in this in this sort of fractured, uh, you know, nothing is true anymore world of uh, uh, which I think we're going to get to in a little bit more profound ways and other some of these other reasons. Um, uh, basically, like we all just could do what we want, and so we went with this guy who was peddling the lowest common denominator. Uh, I think there's an element of that, but I think that the more compelling one is probably sexism of the two. Yeah, yeah,
2: I'm, I'm going to vote sexism. Okay. Uh, beca- because, just because I think, I, and I, I came to this in the terms of, I think the Anton Levy argument is valid and has a lot of, that's more of a thesis paper, whereas, like, the uh, sexism wins because it's, it's just clear that, I mean, and I think in what I stated, it's it's also clear that, um, that like, the, the fact that that many women voted against, uh, like, voted for a guy who's clearly, like, a, a, sexual weirdo and... (laughs) Yeah, so much of Trump was defined by sexism. And it's just like his whole, like, aura even. Even if you take out all the the pussy-grabbing tape and all that stuff, if you just take in just like, I run Miss Universe and I hang out with Hugh Hefner and we have these weird parties at the Plaza Hotel. And and, like, it's just kind of... And you couldn't... And you had enough information and access to that that you just couldn't... you still voted for that guy? It's like there. So let,
3: let's trans I I I'm gonna keep talking about this. So let's transition to the another matchup, which is protest vote versus cult of personality. I want to talk about cult of personality right now because so much of the, uh, the the appeal of Trump to his people was that he was this in a very simian way uh, expressing dominance. He was just demonstrating dominance over. Uh, like Jeb Bush, for example, when he you know he stood a little bit I think taller than Jeb Bush, and he'd look at and certainly Marco Rubio,
2: and he would look over and be like, nope, 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 I'm talking now, nope. You know, and Do you remember the time they high-fived during one of the primary, or the low-fived, rather? They, like, slapped five. It was really lame. Uh, like I, I, the one of the few times they watched the Republican primary, and for some reason they agreed, and they just kind of slapped five. And Are I was you like,
3: saying that the locus of whiteness, which is the Republican
2: primary debate, uh, executed a high-five poorly? Yeah, I am, and it was. I almost threw up watching it. <laughs>
3: I almost threw up watching when Ted Cruz got that weird thing on his left. Remember that? <laughs> oh, he ate it, uh-huh. uh, that white thing. But yeah, I mean, so much of Trump's dominance that he asserted was over women. And like, he hated females. He hated the female fluids. Remember, with Megyn Kelly, with Hillary crying, uh, with Mika Brzezinski's face later on after he became president. Uh, so I think that, um, but b- largely, more largely into the cult of personality concept, there's the idea that Trump was just uniquely charismatic or compelling of a person. Uh, certainly he re- represented a different type of politician. Um and uh, so that's, people were just taken with him. Uh, the other one is, is protest vote. Um, would you like to speak to protest vote? The idea that we just, this was a,
2: well i think uh, yeah they uh, they saw kind of similar to before but they, they saw a person who's been a part of the establishment that's not been working out for them and they're just like well whatever my material circumstance i tried this with barack obama and th- i think that explains the certain the group of voters who voted for obama and then voted for trump is the are the group of people who put a protest vote up they're like look i i sat with eight years of obama and my material circumstances have gotten worse uh, there and so i'm I have nothing to lose and everything to gain by voting for this guy who's materially promising me the world. Yeah, I, yeah t- and he certainly he was. Toward the end of the election, Trump was saying,
3: I mean, when he got really desperate, because he was going to lose, I mean, he was fucking behind by a lot in the polls. Yeah. He started saying, everything you wanted to ever come true is going to come true. I mean, he literally was yeah. saying that shit. Um,
2: he still th- says it. He <laughs> still <laughs> says it. Yeah, he says it's it, happening. It's going to be the best tax cut. It's yeah. going to be great.
3: Totally. Yeah. Um. I think that he he certainly had a cult of personality. Uh I think it's very short going to be short lived from now on. Uh but I think that the idea about protesting a system of politics that fundamentally didn't work to me is more um compelling of a, of a reason to explain Trump.
2: So you're in more in favor of the protest vote. Pro- yeah. I would yeah. say protest vote over cult of personality. See, I mm. I actually will go with protest vote. I think the cults of personality, I think both, I think there is a small segment of the population that is very invested in the cults of personality of Donald Trump, but that is a smaller proportion that is extremely vocal, Yeah. as opposed to the actual protest vote, makes up for the people in Michigan and Wisconsin who are former union workers who are just like, well, Hillary Clinton didn't campaign here, and Donald Trump is offering me things that, you know, Barack Obama couldn't deliver on, so why don't I just... Yeah, I, it, these things, those two concepts
3: are very closely entwined too, because one is pro-Trump, the other is anti-system, and I think people that a lot of people that were pro-Trump were anti-system. So protest vote kind of encapsulates uh, the, the cult of personality for sure. All right, next matchup we have is um, let's do. Uh, there's a global rise of nationalism versus a PC backlash. Um, Brian, do you want to take uh, PC backlash because it's a favorite of dads across the country?
2: I hear this from every dad that I speak to, where they're like, "Well, I don't understand. Is there like ten genders now? And uh, (laughs) what do I, what do I do?" And there's just, I can't just say the jokes that I used to say when I was in fourth grade with me and my pals (laughs) shooting marbles. Um, No, you can't. I love the idea of a racist fourth grader shooting marbles, Um, but.
3: Marbles are uh, black people in fourth grade or something.
2: Yeah, sixties. Yeah, no. PC backlash is that Donald Trump emboldened and personified people that were sick of, uh, you know, people for making particularly people of color under the Obama administration or people of gender non-conforming gender identities. Um, And I think there is the there is the room to say that okay, well, people these people from the Midwest and other. parts of the country that were inoculated this or really felt bombarded by a need to be woke that they were just like well this is a guy who's just talking about this guy who took out a paper and a full time a full page ad in the new york times in the 80s to call for the public execution of five people who were falsely accused of rape in central park he speaks for us because <laughs> he, he can also say, we're going to say Merry Christmas again. <laughs> yeah, which he's still saying. Yeah, I know, which is unreal, but uh, it's like I, the, the, it goes back to the Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays kind of thing, which is somehow still a thing in the year 2017. I know.
3: Well, I, Hopefully it went away a little bit with Trump. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that there is certainly something to the PC backlash idea. I mean, I, I know that I feel frustrated at it. I know that older, especially more conservative people, which pretty much constitute the vast majority of the country, people mm-hmm. that are older and, and more conservative than me for sure um and you know i think that when i'm saying pc backlash it's like it's the P- berkeley protests, it's all the safe spaces and
2: stuff it's millennials it's entitlement it's all of this just, shit. those are all straw men and bullshit that they invented it's I think all because it, you know who needs the safe spaces now it's fucking richard spencer and Absolutely. and, and, and the, it's the safe space people are the ones that are just like they're they're the ones who are pleading it's like i need you to hear my voice it's like well guess what if you're if you say i think jewish people should be eliminated or that black people are like inferior to us i'm going to hit you in the face and i don't feel bad about it <laughs>
3: safe spaces is demanding that we say merry christmas instead of happy holidays because you can't handle. you're so insecure enough about your religion that you can't handle the presence of other religions oh
2: of, so shout out to my sister alan pisano for having one of the most badass moments so this is a deviation but a story my sister alan pisano and i We're sitting at Christmas Mass. This was probably about seven or eight years ago. And the priest, who I hope is now dead or accused of child molestation publicly, I don't remember his name, gave the whole sermon after the gospel about saying Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays, and on the way out, as like the priest is saying goodbye to us, Ellen just went up to him and it was just, like, and shaking hands with everybody was like, "Happy holidays!" And I just like crip walked I was like, "Oh!" And my dad was so mad, but Ellen and I were just like, "Fuck that guy!" Yeah, sure, and they we're stupid. like, it's like you, 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 Irish guy. you were gonna take the, yeah, you're gonna take this fucking stance to just say like, "Hey, this is Christmas, a moment of peace and joy for the whole world to enjoy," and you want to take a fucking. Stand on Happy yeah, Holidays here, fuck you, bro. <laughs> yeah. So if that guy's still alive, you probably
3: voted Trump. Yeah. Um. Okay. So that's a very compelling. Not to be. I mean, it's going up against the another huge reason, which is probably going to be generationally remembered, which is the global rise of nationalism. Yeah. So this is a this is a power matchup here. This is a two titans. Um.
2: Uh. I want. Has nationalism been rising? Well, <laughs> I haven't noticed. Well, so
3: th- let's talk about this for a little bit. Uh, national. So the the. Main. This is arguably, I think, the globally the main narrative for Trump's rise was that there it, w- it took place in a year in which actually it started. The first thing that happened that was sort of globally national nationalistic that I was aware of in 2016 was that Colombia had negotiated an end to the longstanding war with the FARC, which are Marxist guerrillas that had been fighting against them for a long time. They, Columbia
2: University has been fighting the <laughs> FARC the whole time. No,
3: colombia has been fighting Harlem <laughs> residents. For a long time. Um, They negotiated a peaceful end, and they were going to let them reintegrate into society, and this sort of uh, right-wing, punitively-minded wing of of Colombians voted, and for some reason they held a plebiscite, to say, you know, to say, do we agree with the terms of this this peaceful surrender? We're going to let these guerrillas come back into society. And they said, no, we reject yeah. it. I actually don't know what happened. To that. I should follow up on that. But there's that. There's certainly Brexit. Brexit. Um, there's yeah, go- what's going
2: on in Greece? What's going on in Ukraine? Uh, what's going on in south parts of Southeast Asia? For sure, and like Philippines and Indonesia. and on the rise of uh, there, there um, was
3: uh, huge par- parliamentary elections in, in Europe. Uh, you know, you have all these far right like Yabek type. Um, you know, the, the uh, gear builders in, in the Netherlands. You were there for that, weren't you? When they, in, You were in the Netherlands. I was there, right? yeah,
2: I did see. It. And actually, yeah, uh, And let's just say I went to a certain kind of shop in the Netherlands and Meg and I walked out and then all of a sudden I turned a corner and there was a bunch of people screaming in a language I didn't understand and I was paranoid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and so and but basically what it was that basically the Dutch equivalent of Donald Trump was was running and then a lot of the Turkish nationalists <laughs> provoked by Erdogan. That's a whole nother podcast yeah. too. Um it's that that should be our t shirt. That's a whole nother podcast. yeah <laughs> I like that. Um but essentially they were they're uh implored to go out and protest in the streets. Yeah. And let me tell you something, that's not what you want to see when you've left a <laughs> coffee shop in, in Amsterdam.
3: Yeah, and they had Marine Le Pen in France. And so there, this rise of global nationalism uh, definitely is something that um, happened. Uh, I think that the, the links to, um, and then also the sort of the, the surging popularity of Putin, right, uh, who is behind some of this this global nationalism. I think that uh, I have a Lithuanian... I have a Lithuanian friend who um, uh, was who phrased it basically that you know we we've had uh, all these generations of multiculturalism and um, you know the world kind of the, the the Western world kind of voted to take a step back from that yeah and that's totally a plausible um, argument and it was Trump part of that um, in terms of uh, and so certainly the world regards that as the case. For me, as someone who's here, I'm going to say, I'm going to, well, what do you think? PC backlash versus the global nationalist trend. What do you think was more explanatory of Trump? I'm going to go with
2: global nationalist trend. Or split then. I'm going to go with PC backlash. What's your reason? Interesting. But global nationalist trend, just because it, it's PC backlash is a thing that's been a constant throughout our lives. So, you know, like that. that's, I, I remember people saying that about it in the 90s. Like, I remember that's been a persistent thing throughout. I think. This is the first time that global nationalism has made the main stage or nationalism has made the main stage in America in our lifetimes, except for post 9-11. And but now it's up for debate as opposed to. So now we're kind of like redefining what America is in this post 9-11 universe 16 years later. Um, PC backlash is just going to be an omnipresent it's going to be an omnipresent force in every election, and I think the needle will always kind of get moved, hopefully, in the in the correct direction. Okay, that's actually kind of
3: convincing. Uh, I actually was going to say uh, this sort of the same argument in the other way because I think that PC culture has become a boogeyman on the right in a way that I think it hasn't been before, and part of it is justified, honestly. I mean, um, some of the alienation that I feel from really uh, voluble liberals who are just... They, they're. It seems like it's very shrill to me sometimes, and so I, I get Gender frustrated terms. with it. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. like, well, no, it's fair to say, but I, I, I think that it, it is very frustrating to watch, and I would love if I didn't consider myself part of them to, to totally punish that whole class of elites that are, that were doing it. Global nationalism, to me, uh, speaks to like. You know what part of Trump was really nationalist? Obviously, you know s- when he got Bannon, which was partway through the uh, Make, Make America
2: Great Again was the sole campaign promise. Yeah, which
3: is, but that's the thing that's that was a Reagan. Uh, well, I guess Reagan Yeah, won, uh, so uh, yeah you and Reagan
2: campaigned on nationalism. I mean, look at uh, yeah, that's you know, true. Yeah, uh, but
3: it, I, I, well, yeah, absolutely. It's morning uh, in America, baby. Yeah, and it was, um, and I guess he won, which is kind of against my point uh, because that would indicate that nationalism is something to. Uh, that he embraced successfully and that's why he won. I think that uh, nationalism is always a winner. I think that um, the next matchup we'll get to, we'll we'll touch on this too, but I think that you can, at any point in American history, you could run as an overt nationalist and do really well. Um, But I think I might agree with you because the PC backlash, um, I don't know if it was PC backlash. I would say more, if this were instead like the political backlash, the same way that sort of protest vote was, uh, I think that maybe that would have been more compelling. But global nationalism, like nationalism is 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 very popular. Uh, you, never before in, in the last, I think, probably century, uh, excluding sort of isolationist periods around the wars, preceding the wars, has it been so popular to launch anti-free trade, or so possible right. to launch anti-free trade invective.
2: Well, that, that's the point. Uh, so that's why I think the global nationalism wins over PC backlash, because... The PC backlash is like, that's going to be around. People are always going to complain about that. But at the end, that wins. Like even Donald Trump is is like, look, I love gay people. I love, uh, you know, and and, uh, as opposed to global nationalism where it's like what spoke to people, auto workers or former, you know, unemployed people in Ohio and Michigan was like, hey, Chinese people's material circumstance looks like it's getting better and mine is getting worse. You know
3: what? I'm going to agree with you. And I I think this is an important thing to mention, because (laughs) even now, um, if it were really a PC backlash, they would be as... Overtly racist as Richard Spencer, right. all of them would be. Exactly, and they're not. Like even Milo still has to pretend like I'm like oh, I'm not a white supremacist and fuck you for saying that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like some d- to some degree they can't. Re- there's a, a degree of common human decency that even they can't transgress. Yeah. Transgress, and so I think that yeah, there, enough PC has stuck that it's not. If it were really PC backlash, it would have been more fully eroded. Yeah, you'd, you'd have everyone coming out and saying, I don't like black people in this country. Exactly, so, yeah. Uh, although, I mean, there's certainly there was racism against Mexicans. but um, uh, Yeah, that was a part of it. But that's
2: also tied but up that with nationalism d- d- because, d- because, national- because it's right. like so borders and security and that kind the of The match thing.
3: goes to the nationalism. All right, so yeah. let's move on to the next two, uh, the ecological argument and racism. Let's start with racism. So um, this is sort of the tiny Heasy Coats argument. Um, it touches on the idea that, uh, w- w- that I just mentioned. I think that at pretty much any point in history, you could have run a very uh, openly racist uh, candidate and had them do pretty well. Um, obviously, this would be a, f- a direct response to the first black president. And the idea is basically that this country is racist enough to uh, not only have that resonate with them, but to supersede the red flags that he threw off. Um, the uh, second argument is sort of this uh, argument that I heard from from Matt Chrisman. Uh, Basically, should I just play the clip? Are you familiar with this clip? Yeah, I remember
2: the one where he's talking about, like, look, we have to, like, they understand, they see the writing on the wall. And yeah, I, I think you should play it from Chapo. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. all right. So, yeah. So, this
3: is this, the ecological argument is uh, something I heard from Matt Crispin from Chapo. Uh, I'll just play a clip that explains
1: it. Fascism arises because of the collapse of uh, institutional legitimacy of liberal institutions. And that's how it. That's how we got fucking Trump. It's how we're gonna get what's coming next after him. That's gonna be even worse. Because if you think there's not gonna be more ecological and economic catastrophes in the future, that liberalism is wholly unsuited to fucking deal with, and that that failure is not going to lead to fascism filling that fucking hole, you got another thing coming. And that's what these guys are. These guys who marched in Charlottesville. These are the people who are aware of the unspoken premise of this sort of zombie neoliberalism we're living in, which is that we're coming at a point where there's gonna be ecological catastrophe and it's going to either require mass redistribution of the ill-gotten gains of uh, the first world or genocide. And these are the first people who have basically said, well, if that's the choice, I choose genocide. And they're getting everybody else ready intellectually and emotionally for why that's going to be okay. When it happens, why they're not really people when we're, when we're putting all of this money into more fucking walls and drones and bombs and guns to keep them away. And so that we can watch them die with clear consciences. It's going to be because we've been loaded with the ideology that these guys are now starting to express publicly. So I'd
2: like to weigh in on the Matt Christman, ecological one, which I think is a good argument. And they do see the writing on the wall that like, look, This is only going to get worse before it gets better, and we're going to have to preserve these resources for the people that are already here, which are limited, and we can't let any more people come in. I disagree with it only to the extent of I don't think that our – especially in the wake of the election of Donald Trump, that I don't think our policymakers are – uh, forward thinking enough to, to yeah. b- anticipate that. I agree. Yeah. So I think I I, I don't think I honestly think they just kind of buy into the uh, the like whatever bullshit like that the Koch Foundation or what uh, the American Enterprise Institute or whoever is a Heritage Foundation that are cranking out these anti global warming stuff. I think they just buy it hook line and sinker. Yeah. Uh, and a handful of them are smart. handful of like billionaires are smart enough to know that, and they're certainly buying up whatever reserves of fresh water they can but I don't think that our policymakers are smart enough to I do that. agree. Yeah. The idea
3: that the people who, who actively deny global warming secretly know that it's coming and are using that to uh, j- s- just spread the affliction around poor people and minorities is unconvincing to me. Yeah. Uh, the other argument is racism. Do you have anything to say about the idea that we're... Actually, let, we'll talk about racism later. Uh, so that, that wins that argument. Yeah, ra- um, racism wins. <laughs> okay, racism. racism always wins. Okay, um, the next matchup we have is the, uh, complexity versus that the Dems are out of touch. Why don't you talk about the idea that Democrats are out of touch?
2: Well, it's, it's kind of interesting in the wake of yesterday's election because they did, they did win some seats in a lot of legislatures, but I do still think they are out of touch. Um, the, Democratic, the The idea, the argument that they put forth where the Democratic Party is kind of beholden to this neoliberal, conservative, liberal mindset of, hey, we still have to cooperate with Wall Street, uh, we're still anti-union. We're pro certainly all these social things where it's like pro gay marriage, uh, uh, pro civil rights, pro pro rights for everyone, pro voting rights, um, pro immigration certainly. But we're we're anti. Uh, we're we're well, still not
3: that pro immigration either. I mean, it's th- if the idea is like Obama deported a ton of people. That's true. And that's a good point. They're not true liberals. Is kind of the idea. They're, yeah, they yeah, lost they're track of their base.
2: because the Democratic Party has is just kind of in the in the process of becoming a big tent invited a lot of conservative people yeah. into the tent and they've always been that they've just been an institution in american politics for over 150 years and they've they've just kind of morphed their way and then now they've lost touch they they had built a coalition in their in the roosevelt era of working class labor oriented politics and now they've kind of lost touch with that and all that's left is this progressive on the on the face wing where they, pro- they support social progress but still support economic essentially status quo
3: yeah and, and oppression yeah. oppression w- is what a lot <laughs> of yeah. people would say
1: yeah
2: uh
3: yeah that's a convincing argument to me um the other is i'll just pr- co- overview the complexity the idea basically is that um people are confused and and like rejecting complexity in favor of someone who can tell them the best story is what they're going to they prefer um like this entire everything in society is on shifting ground and uh, people are not meant to exist among this much complexity. So we're rejecting the explanations of elites. Um, I'll explain this by way of one anecdote, which is that uh, people felt very differently about tarp than they felt about the auto bailout. This is a I got the, I'm stealing this from John Stewart because they did not know how tarp would affect them. I mean, you need uh, many advanced degrees to really fully explain how, um, the Wall Street bailout would affect you if you had a credit card or how uh, the, yeah, the Troubled Assets Release Program was actually functionally supposed to work or how quite right. easy supposed to work. There's all these huge technological things but then you talk about the auto bailout and you all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, I know what GM does. They make those shitty cars I don't like. I don't, you know, fuck them. It's, it's greedy right. union people who want more. So the complexity, that, that's sort of the, the concept of complexity. I got this from someone who was talking about Sandpile Theory which is the idea that, um, which, which touches on the idea that, you add, you keep adding grains of sand to a pile, and it changes in ways that you cannot predict. And so we live in a very in a, in a world of technocracy of specialization. A lot of the the baseline skills you need, uh, whether it's a operating a computer, understanding the baselines of economics, um, you know, understanding the changing grounds of social media, you know, to not get burned. Um, it's really complicated. We live in a super complex world, and Donald Trump certainly served to simplify it a lot he told a story that had heroes villains well he was the only hero and and his followers um and simple solutions everything was reduced down to you know beyond the point of an entity uh and it totally served as a self to that and i think that to people who saw complexity uh, as a threat it was like finally someone who gets it as opposed to someone who will coddle me yeah um, but so th- are the Dems more out of touch or is it more that people were retreating to the safety of simple, simple sound bites?
2: What do you think, Brian? I think it's the simplicity. I think it's the same reason why uh, Bernie Sanders resonated with so, uh, so many people. It's, it, it's because he had a simple, consistent message. So it also that it corroborates the Dems being out of touch. But like, but I think it's, it's complexity is the key because Bernie Sanders figured that out there. And it's the same thing where it's like, yeah, pe- people don't. They, they just need a simple message. It's like, hey, I'm going to make your life better. This is how. I don't need to explain. I don't need to explain why. Okay, well, instead of fifteen dollars an hour, I'll give you twelve fifty an hour or whatever it is. It's just like, look, I'm I'll I'll gonna give you everything, or, or I'm gonna give you everything. It's gonna be fantastic. Like, it's just people just needed that. It's just you, you, you. people don't have time in their lives between their five jobs or oxycodone addiction to just like do full blown analysis on. What a two percent increase Absolutely, in the minimum wage yeah. would, would mean, so and I think like
3: that that speaks to um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the same uh, same idea. Uh, it goes to, it speaks to the next one we're gonna talk about too. The next matchup, <laughs> um, but you know it's kind of this indictment of the way Hillary ran the campaign, right? It was too technocratic. It was too uh, a little bit oblique. It w- it was vague. There was a lot of people who wanted her to be a little more of a demagogue, and I I. F- instinctively want to resist that, but I also acknowledge, like, that's the way elections happen, and you've got to be able to simplify it, and Trump figured that out. I mean, he figured out how to make it as simple a story as, as possible.
2: Hell, even Obama figured out. I mean, he has a, was a charismatic person, but he also just figured out, like, hey, look, if I give people a simple one or two-liners, like, hey, here's hope. I'm a young politician, and here's what I have to say, and things i have been working for America— Let's try to do
3: something. Totally. I totally agree. And even the optics of Obama kind of did a lot of that work for him. Because they were like, ooh, different. You yeah, know, d- young, y- y- young, yeah. young,
2: cool black guy. Yeah. Uh, with,
3: uh, <laughs> uh, next matchup is um, Anyone But Hillary, which we were just talking about, and uh, versus Minorities Didn't Vote. Why don't you go... So here, I'll uh, s- you, I'll start with you. Anyone But Hillary, especially r- related to the idea that we were just talking about um, with... Yeah,
2: yeah uh, okay. Anyone But Hillary. Hillary is... Hillary, and as many people have said before me, so this is not an original take, but Hillary Clinton essentially resembled to most of the country of she was the girl who, when the teacher was like, hey, guys, class dismissed, was like, hold up, teach, you forgot to give us our homework. And you're just like, fuck you. Like that's the, the, she, She's this omnip- omnipresent force that we've all known throughout our lives. Who is just somebody who's just like kind of like in the background, just nagging you, and you don't even know why you don't like her. Um, there, there's a, there's a lot of reason why the reasons why people don't like her. There it's like well, she's just been pr- omnipresent throughout their politics through your entire life, and just had this this stain of just of just being a person who's. Uh, an insider, a person that's just all she wanted was just to be president of the United States and not just generally sought out for the benefit of people. It was just that she's like, all I want is this blind ambition to be, which I respect. And even Donald <laughs> Trump got points for it in the debate when they're like, you have to say something nice about each other. And that was one of the things that won over a lot of people. I think of the over a lot of people that... We're on the fence. she's like, you know what? I respect her because she doesn't give up. And I'll respect her for that, too. But it's like, hey, maybe you should have given up because we're just not like we're not that invested in. Except for the people she surrounded herself with, 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 were these Democratic Party sycophants who all went to GW or uh, Georgetown or like, you know, people that are just essentially politics nerds, the same people. Who would raise their hands and be like, nah, you forgot to give me my homework <laughs> like <laughs> that's that's who was Huma Abedin is that person yeah. John Podesta is that person like they're all and all the everyone that volunteered for like they, I mean like not all of them obviously people generally good people but did it, but there are all those people who are just like oh I just I just love the, her wonkiness and it's like, guess what that's not what that's not what politics is like <laughs> the, um, yeah, and I
3: think that the and then she had a lot of she also. Withstood a lot of decades of smear campaigns against. Oh, her, for though. sure,
2: yeah. So that oh, you th- mean all that, a long-standing right-wing up. conspiracy against her? <laughs> yeah, and there
3: was kind of a right-wing conspiracy against her. I mean, she wasn't perfect, but there. But I, it all rolls up into the same thing in terms of you know to, the, to normies, you know, the, uh, all of her negatives. Uh, this, is this is just because this is
2: because Lenny is trying to shift the blame because he's the one who actually killed Vince Foster. I did, yeah, <laughs> with a lead pipe in the conservatory. Yeah, um, the minorities didn't
3: vote. When I'll go over briefly, I think it's a pretty unconvincing argument. Um, there is a uh, there was briefly uh, talk that because minority turnout was down and certainly below what you know Obama had hoped for in the waning days of the campaign. Don't boo, vote. Don't boo, vote. You know he was. He was saying that because he knew that it was going to be a challenge to get minority turnout out. There was not that much enthusiasm uh, in this election uh, from like the black community, to the brown community, um, and so a lot of people, well, some people for a very short time after the election tried to float that, and I think they got just castigated on social media, so they kind of dropped it right away. Yeah, um, I'm going to say that it, it definitely was anyone but Hillary as opposed to minority didn't vote. My reasoning for this is because a it's bullshit in the sense that. Um, that's one thing. There was, I think, turnout was probably n- could have been across the board better. Uh, it's like if somebody fumbles on the l- last drive of the game when you could have kicked a field goal to win. It's like that's not the reason. That's a, a one reason at a particularly poignant part of the game. But you can also could have supported more points, more points before and stopped right. them from scoring before. So yeah, uh, d- and especially when when that person who fumbled is like just a punching bag that you know historically gets blamed. The other thing is that. Turnout wasn't that much lower than it historically is. I mean, it was really high for Obama in two thousand eight and two thousand twelve, but minority voting has always been below uh, the level uh, rates of, of white turnout, and um, for a lot for a lot
2: of reasons. Totally, we are discussed this. Yeah, this
3: uh, we, yeah with a refer to the rise no episode for the the um, the difficulties that they've had in... Uh, you know, having polling places shut down, or like the sheriff, like in 2000, when Jeb Bush's Florida uh, s- state troopers just shut down the road to the polling place. Um, you know, absolutely. But it, it it has always been lower. Yeah. Um, the um, for the last like 20 years, the rate of uh, Latino voters that are that don't vote are higher than the ones that do vote. So, um, well, it, yeah, that, that I don't think that's anything new. So I would I would give it to, um, and also it's just an unfair narrative because that's not the reason why this happened. I mean, 54% of white women voted for Trump. That didn't have anything to do with, min- with minorities not showing up.
2: Yeah, um, I agree. I think it, it was certainly was a failing of a com- campaign to um, to not engage or get the turnout of, uh, of people of color as much, especially in the case of, I mean, it, I don't know what the statistics are, Latino voters, but you think those people would have been cr- certainly voting out of complete self-interest um, uh, for their community. Well, but that's uh, the
3: kind of the thing. It's worth mentioning, like, Trump's appeal was to a very—it was the lowest common denominator, and we all share the lowest common denominator, right? And so his appeal was so base, you know. You're seeing a man who is in charge, you know, by his own disposition, and uh, does what he wants. You know, he says whatever he wants. He's flat. and so it's it's appealing to a part of your brain that everyone has in the lizard the, part there, of their brain. There stem. is a
2: part of me that wants so in the anybody, but I will vote for the anybody, but Hillary. But there's so we'll move on to the next topic, but why I want Elizabeth Warren to be the next uh, Democratic presidential nominee is because I want to test out the th- that theory because I think that it would be interesting. It would have been an interesting first time around to have Elizabeth Warren versus Donald Trump in this extreme populist matchup kind of uh, scenario and see uh, see if it played out the same way, if she had activated uh, uh, a similar or a different pace. All right, so the next matchup is between...
3: Uh, <laughs> The culture is a dump and politics is trash uh, versus the internet broke our brains. Brian, take over, internet broke our brains.
2: The internet has completely broken our brains over the past 10 to 15 years. I mean, it's been in existence since the early 90s, but I think the reality of web is that we have broken brains by this constant information stream that we're receiving. So that is, that is designed and there's an explicit industry that is designed to keep you distracted and keep your, the part of your lizard brain active that just goes, but I got to like, something's going on where, and and it's clearly exemplified in the rise of fake news and in the rise of people just being completely reactionary and just, and just screaming stuff into the void onto this public forum that is like Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is. I mean, look at, look at your Facebook stream right now and try to, it won't be hard for you if you open up Facebook right now to find somebody that just says something that's absolutely ridiculous to say as if they were screaming it out to a population of 6 billion people. So I think the internet, I think our brains were not designed for, we either have to figure out a way to, to adapt to the internet, or the internet has completely broken our brains, and then that uh, that the end natural end outcome is having a total lizard brain person like Donald Trump be become president.
3: Yeah, and I think I would I would phrase this also in a way that doesn't make us culpable, uh, us as the people, because. I think that, you know, I, I read an article b- uh, by someone who was saying that f- the term fake news is already obsolete because it's been appropriated by, you mostly hear it from Donald Trump now. Right. When it started as a uh, liberal construct, right? For sure. It was a term that referred to something, and my, my I think my response to that is that it, it's not meaningless, it refers to a very real thing. It's that content algorithms have b- matured faster than our um, understanding of how they work and our, our ability, sort of our epistemological ability to sluice through them has evolved um, we're cynical enough to believe anything the government says is a lie but we're naive enough to believe that whatever we read is true right and and I think that's just a cultural thing I mean that's the same way that you know people used to just trust what the government said and now we look at them as naive we'll look back at the same with the same sort of um, derision at uh, people that you know at, at a time when people just believe was on their Facebook pages for so sure. I, I think that the internet broke our brains in a way that we sort of as a population couldn't see coming yeah uh and i think that you know like you if you want to blame a particular person you could totally blame zuckerberg at all because they knew they first of all as we t- now have learned li- more recently they knew that there was false information coming in from paying customers that were from russia you know, that they knew it was false information, and they didn't do anything about it.
2: They're, they're well, they're just like our engagements up. It was just the Silicon yeah. Valley binary of it's like, well, we just have people on this thing now, so we gotta, you know, it was more beholden to uh, a a startup kind of culture rather than a, a business culture. Business, yeah, it's yeah, it's business culture for sure. The
3: yeah. uh, the the reason that it's going up against that the internet broke our brains is up against uh, the America's a cultural wasteland, and the idea here is basically that, uh, yeah, I mean, like we, it's celebrity worship gone awry is how we got Trump. Um, I think that it was Taibbi that said that uh, Donald Trump's main innovation was that he was just the first person to realize that elections were just a bad reality show, and he was an election, he was a reality show star, and he understood he could spice it up a little bit, and all of the, um, you know, all, all of the, the momentum that went from you know Reagan could be a politician. Uh, who, who Apparently, Brian, he used to be a SAG leader. I mean, he was a union guy. Yeah, he, he was
2: a union guy. And he also was protested on the, uh, or he was part of the McCarthy trials on the House of Un American Activities about like attesting to communists in, a, a, even as a, la- a labor leader, but being a leader of SAG, yeah, which, which is I different mean, than like being in the United yeah. Auto Workers. Because you've got to be a leader. Um, yeah. yeah um, but the same, that, that being said, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was certainly a, you uh, Union buster, or so somebody that that was ultimately became a union buster, but it was also the first person they realized and hacked. We're like, oh, we can turn this celebrity into president. It doesn't really matter about his credentials. He's kind of a B actor, uh, but we can we can make him actually seem like an appealing because he has he has the appeal. From a sense of like, he, he can speak on stage and he knows yeah. how to like, but it, he it, also
3: was a sharp guy. I mean, before he went demented when he started running for a second term, he, um, you know, he was a sharp guy like in the 70s. I mean, he had yeah, quick retorts. I'm not
2: saying he's, he's he he was dumb, but he, but he understood the same way. And this is actually what I'm more alluding to is that this is the one part I will give respect to Donald Trump's a little bit genius, whereas that he he and the people around him realized that politics, like you said, is show business, yeah. it's show business, it's not. Politics, which is what the Hillary Clinton people failed to see, is that it's a, it's not just doing like presidential campaigns are show business. It's you put on a show. It's on TV all the time. You, you,
3: you. so I yeah, I, and and also that I think that and the corollary to this is that politics devolved to the point where it was just pop culture. I mean, right. Um, it's funny that the the sort of wholesome side of this is I remember reading once, that you remember the the president um, on Twenty Four was a black guy, right? Yep. And 24 was like a big nine ele- post 9 11 show. And the guy who he was in heat. He was also in Allstate commercials. Oh, yeah. He's the, sooth- the soothing, he's still soothing a, man allstate. in Allstate, yeah. yeah. I would trust him with anything. Yeah. Uh, but people were saying, well, I read one probably filed at the last minute uh, <laughs> slate uh, story that was about how what impact did it have seeing a black guy be president on Obama's election? You know, it like, kind of it spurs the imagination. And I totally buy that to some degree. And so. There's that's the wholesome side of the idea that the mass media influences what we think governance should be. The negative side is that you literally start to think that, you know, like Schwarzenegger ended up being a pretty sane guy and certainly a very moderate Republican. But no one's pretending that he didn't win that gubernatorial election just because he was a celebrity. He did. That's what happened. Mike Ditko would have beat Barack Obama in a senate race um in the, in the senate race in 2004 had he chosen Schwarzenegger
2: to run. made that decision to run for governor on his way to the tonight show in the limo on the he said that in an interview he was like I'm, i think i'm going to go to run for governor well i <laughs> mean you got
3: to decide sometimes and uh, you know at some point <laughs> but he's he going was just, to the tonight yeah, show. yeah but anyway well so, the and, point and is, run over through the government of california <laughs> <But> <laughs> <laughs> um i mean there was uh you know th- th- Politics has devolved to be a football game, basically. I mean, it's mostly just for entertainment now. That It gives everyone involved
2: in b- a brain injury.
3: Yeah. it. I mean, bec- maybe because the Internet broke our brains uh, <laughs> uh, or, or CTA, um, you know, our memories are very short, so stories don't last that long. So po- America is a cultural wasteland where we, we can't tell celebrities from intel- the intelligentsia. Politics is just turned into a complete trash pile that has come to mimic um our our celebrity culture, and that's why we saw it as okay that Trump was elected. The reason I have against this is um, that uh, I think that p- enough people were shocked that there was a, like that also caused a lot of shock. The idea that Trump, this this huckster, could be elected president, um, it it violated all the decorum uh, that people had wanted to associate with the office. Um, I don't know how to, how to how to rule on this one. Uh, America's a cultural wasteland versus the internet has has broken our, our ability to reason.
2: I think I think cultural wasteland because it's just it's just the natural extension, like I said, it's Ken, they realized with Kennedy that they could put makeup on somebody. That was the first time they realized that like this is television. Richard Nixon looks sick. Kennedy looks healthy. Let's l- even though he's all right. Was, I'm gonna even go even with that, that too.
3: Because, yeah. And, I th- there, and then Ronald no Reagan event. was like,
2: okay, we got to put an actor up there because we can give him lines. Sarah Palin certainly is an example but, but of this. But Trump They're isn't like, an actor.
3: He's the opposite of an actor.
2: He's an a- he is an actor in the way that he understands how what's entertaining on television. Like, he loves TV. Actually, no, I'm, gonna, I'm
3: reversing. I'm going to go in with Internet Broke Our Brains. I think that has more of an impact because the, uh, so much of Trump's, first of all, Trump was an entertaining. I mean, he was funny, too. Like, Trump had a lot of, yeah, that's true. of ad hoc. Uh, you know, intrigued to to watching it, but it was like watching a car crash. That's not really celebrity culture. I think that the celebrity aspect of it shocked a lot of people. It enraged a lot of people that we were going to elect a celebrity. Um, And uh, and, and, and the whole point of him was that he was unscripted. So much of, meanwhile, I think what's really in favor of the idea that the internet broke our brains is that so much of what he said was allowed to fly because there was, people could throw their hands up and say, who really knows anything? It's the sort of Russian model of propaganda. Uh, In Soviet times, they were able to um, influence thought by keeping information out. When you can't do that, when there's an infinite amount of information, all you have to do is let everything in and create new narratives so that you truly no one knows what's happening and you can't trust anything. And so I think that a lot of the claims that Trump made were only allowed to be put on TV um, because of people people just didn't know who to trust anymore.
2: All right. You've convinced me. Um, Only because it's just it falls in line with the Adam Curtis analysis of hyper normalization in the the post like in the towards the end of the Soviet Union. People were just like, well, they're saying all these things that we know aren't true. So we we have to just take what like we just know something's wrong. So that's like what. Yeah. So.
3: All right. Next matchup is uh, this is a procedural fluke versus the rise of extremism. Uh, why don't you take over uh, explaining? This is sort of the Ryan Snow ep- uh, argument that um, let's not read too much into Trump's election because a lot of stuff broke the wrong way, basically.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was. It, it, this has to do with uh, the Voting Rights Act was uh, w- was or a portion of the Voting Rights Act was um, uh, stayed. Yeah, uh, it w- was uh, was stayed by the Supreme Court, which uh, permitted. Uh, certain voting rights discrimination um there there's uh, also a depressed uh like so uh, uh, there's a lot of motivation around voter voter id laws or there's a lot of states like north carolina where they're able to find ways to newly discriminate or like create new long lines around voting um and in that case in those certain states that they they depressed voter either depressed voter turnout or deterred it in a way that allowed formerly swing states in the pre- uh, Voting Rights Act or the pre-Voting Rights Act repeal uh, era to to allow, p- enfranchise more people to vote right. and vote more easily.
3: And I think along with this too, you get uh, the idea that um, like it had Hillary, uh, you know, d- had better campaign managers. I mean, you read Shattered and Uh, You said that, like, apparently Robbie Mook comes off as just this data nerd who's totally out of touch with with reality and had they maybe had uh, listened to Bill Clinton more, spent more time in Wisconsin, Michigan is the famous line. Uh, You know, had a couple of things broken differently, um, maybe uh, this is more of a reflection on the flaws in the electoral system. Rather than any kind of sweeping generational, right? Narrative. It was the, a
2: flaw in Robbie Mook's algorithm prevented them from really hardly camp hard hard campaigning in districts in like Wisconsin, like Milwaukee or Detroit, and just like forcing the boat out a little bit more, in which would have swung the election the other way, right?
3: Because she lost. I mean, this was a very close election. He won less. Few, uh, he. Trump won fewer votes than Mitt Romney did. Yeah. So had someone been able to turn that out better, uh, it would have gone a different way. The upshot of this is that what needs fixing is the electoral system um, and the approach of parties. Uh, not the uh, not we, we, we are not any more de- uh, racist to society or anything like that. Yeah. The next argument is uh, that there's been a rise of extremism in the uh, Republican Party. And I'm not sure this is debatable, but the Republican Party has gotten a lot more extreme over the last couple decades. Um, starting in the 70s, there was, there's was there been a project spearheaded by Roger Ailes un- under Nixon at the time to, uh, the, as, as a famous quote put it, he discovered an entirely new market, half the country, right? Yeah. Speak to the fears, mostly, of all these people um, be overly racist in the rise of L- Rush Limbaugh and all these other uh, demagogues on the, uh, that are very powerful in uh, influencing thought on the right. The problem was it kind of blew up the arrangement that these country club Republicans had with their constituency. They wanted to keep them sort of asleep, as opposed to woke. And uh, they would continue enacting an oligarchic agenda on top of their votes that were voting for, say, Merry Christmas and Jesus. Right. Um, And at some point, you had, especially spurred by the election of a black president, in my opinion, uh, which conservative media went nuts with because it was a ratings winner. Right. Right. Uh, the party just got more extreme. Uh, it s- started to sort of disassociate from reality, certainly economic reality. Um, you start to get this sort of Margaret Thatcherite, right? like there is no society anymore. Total cleavage in the party. Um, I think the low point of uh, uh, the uh, of all of this really starts to be er- an early low point. The low point is Trump, but Trump is a is a I think a, a, a symptom of um, a larger. Uh, Schism happening in the party One of the most Signal moments That something had happened Was in July of 2011 When um, The Tea party The newly elected Tea party Almost Defaulted the United States Yeah I, I always talk about that And I, I think I'm going to Continue going back to it As one of the most Important moments In the Trump story Because That was really the moment When we realized Holy shit These people have no idea What's going on Right They have no idea What reality is Yeah And more importantly Their overlords Have lost control of them The inmates are running The asylum Yeah and so Trump is is sort of this culmination of this this generation of Republican politicians that have that don't know that what they're what they're s- just taking in is bullshit. This Ron Johnson Tea Party horse shit that that they're they don't know they're being
2: it's sold. They, yeah, their former masters could think a couple as as tr- Trump supporters like to say they like to play chess or 4D chess. They could think a couple chess moves ahead as you have to do in that game, but their voters can't. So they're just like. Bah, like, like I can't think of anything beyond. It's like ab- abortion bad, and I, I don't know. Like uh, like I just he said the bad thing about the Mexicans, so that's all I care about. And yeah. they they can't really they can't really think. Okay, well if he says that we should have less military presence somewhere, that doesn't mean it's like they can't think in the concept of just like oh well this has implications that are the reason why this is such a delicate thing is because it has implications for like that you have to think out cautiously. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and the other. The other thing about that is
3: that I think that conservative talk radio and all this stuff really was the first place in which American citizens were accustomed to getting their editorial absolutely shot through with the actual story itself. like. From, I, you know, from wha-
2: famous oxycodone addicts like Rush, Rush Limbaugh. Limbaugh.
3: <laughs> so let's let's put these two against each other. The rise of rep- extremism on the right. And uh, it's a procedural fluke. That means that we just need to re- if, if only we reformed the electoral system, we wouldn't have gotten Trump. I'm going to go with the rise of extremism because that's a huge... 100% that's rise the, that's of extremism. That's the story yeah. of the Republican Party. Yeah, c- certainly
2: we have a flawed electoral system and it, it, it can always use tweaking and perfection and it is not it is not a perfect system by any means, but it's just the Republican Party and Roger the Roger Ailes element of, and the cultural conservatism movement has completely turned this country upside down. Absolutely. Uh, All right, the next uh, matchup we have is... Okay, so it's stability. We already
3: talked about sexism. So it's sexism versus the concepts of stability. So the stability argument is basically that stability is vulnerable. Uh, so there, there's this idea that stable societies are vulnerable to their own kind of destabilization. So basically this is the idea that there, if you're successful to a point that, that certain things are predictable, um, like you, we, know, we basically solved all the problems, like we know where food's coming from, We know it's
2: it's the natural outcome of the hierarchy of needs being satisfied. So so that we just kind of get essentially bored with the (laughs) concept of society. We're like, well, let's let's just try something else out. Why why don't we? We've already set up all these things. So why don't we push push the next boundary? Yeah, and you're you're sort of
3: wayward. Like if you're poor or if you're under the you know, Mubarak regime, getting rid of the Mubarak regime or becoming unpoor is your clear-cut direction you need to go in. Right. If you're stable and you've got a lot of stuff going on, um, not only do you not know what to do, really, so you're kind of, which I think is what is mostly the defining characteristic of the left right now, because the left is, all all across the left spectrum, is the only one doing any governing in this country. It's the only one doing any imagining of future possibilities, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of infighting right now because of that fact, but also it's the, it's the, there's this pernicious assumption that there's nothing that could happen bad to your society. So the, there's the old liberal line that like rich people will be fine. It's everyone else we need to worry about. What if that percolates through to the entire culture, right? Like the entire right. culture is going to be fine no matter what we do. This leads to things I think like the Tea Party almost voting to default the nation because it's like well what you know they they've never seen anything go really wrong. Um, there's this. Uh, Great example in Liars Poker where he's talking about uh, I think it's a either it's either a professor or it's some uh, Solomon Brothers uh, like executive or, uh, manager that's telling the story. It's like, what would you say would happen if I told you about a company that did everything it could to go under? It pissed off the government. It made a lot of bad investments. It um, you know it, it it made poor strategic decisions in every area. What would you What would happen to it? Everyone says. Well, I think it would go out of business. I mean, you know, yeah. Well, it does. It didn't. That was Boeing in like the seventies. Right. They had made <laughs> like under the table deals with uh, some foreign regime that the p- it, it literally pissed off every regulator. They canceled contracts over it. The problem is there are so many structural forces keeping big entities like that afloat right. that it's basically unsinkable to some degree.
2: It it, it is like uh, the Titanic in the way that it has. Uh, uh, uh,
3: yeah. Yeah. Well, the Titanic did sink, but if it was like the, Titanic it was like the, the, the
2: proposed idea of the Titanic. <laughs> and well,
3: actually, also, you're right. It is like the Titanic in that you think it's unsinkable until it until sinks. It sinks yeah. So that's the kind of—and and Trump, in this case, represents sinking. It's the opposite of what, you know, this, what we were referring to earlier, like Lincoln feeling this profound stewardship of, like, the American experiment. So basically, we're so stable and certain of survival um, that all these petty differences can, can be exposed— um, and And the idea that we can withstand this protest vote, um, so you know we it's also kind of seen on the left the idea that we can just decimate the military. We could probably third you know cut military spending down to a third and still maintain our global power. That is not the case if we I'm totally in favor of r- reducing military spending, but you got to understand it's also going to accompany a reduction of our global power probably for sure so the idea is. Th- this stability that it's like, hey, let's try something new, and nothing can really bad can happen to us because we're fucking America, and none of us have ever seen something bad happen to America. That idea ver- for Trump versus uh, it's sort of the underpinnings of a protest vote versus uh, sexism uh, that we didn't vote for Clinton. Hmm.
2: Uh, I am very I am very conflicted here, um, only because the stability argument is yet to be determined, and I think the outcome of the 2018 and the 2020 elections will really prove that because of what's been happening with uh, the Mueller investigation and what's going, going on with the other institutions that are kind of trying to keep... Because everyone, I think, voting for Trump, even was like, well, honestly, our institutions will kind of just keep him in line and corral him to yeah. the point of where he will he'll say all these rhetorically ridiculous things, but... It, the America will continue and uh, honestly with the uh, the travel ban and all that stuff that how that how that kind of sh- shook out it was actually one of the more fortifying moments for me after the election where I was like oh actually the, there's there are these checks and balances that work out and kind of are, have been put in place and are kind of these ingenious um, civic the system works basically. The, to some the degree the d- system designs works. Of, uh, of civic genius um, or civic. Uh, purpose. So um, I think that, so. It would, but it, as far as a reaction against that stability and to test the boundaries of that stability, yeah, I can see it. I, I, yeah,
3: I, I think it's underpinning because because I like the protest vote line. I think that the stability, you can't have a protest vote if you think that, put it this way, here's why I think that it's it's more more determinative of Trump's election than, than sexism against Hillary Clinton was. Uh, the, what you mentioned about women uh, was one thing, uh, how white women, 54% voted for Trump. Um, there was a lot of negatives about her that were not related to outright bigotry. Also, th- the stability thing, the idea that we can take chances as a society, um, I think played into the support for Trump on a, on a very subconscious level because he actually, his language was that of we don't, we can't take chances. We have no time. We have to take our country back. It's an urgent matter. Um, but that, uh, you know, I- if it were really an urgent matter... Uh, people would have interrogated even the slightest bit all of the proposed, all of his pro- all of his answers. Just a modicum
2: of scrutiny. Anything, any <laughs> thought,
3: any level of thought applied to it would have been like, wait a minute, we actually have to solve this problem. This guy doesn't have any fucking clue what he's no. talking about. So all of all of the, the and, and the, the carnival show that was Trump. If you were really trying to like, we would. Trump could never be George Washington. Trump could never be uh, elected in a time of severe real crisis. He could only be elected when people want to feel indulged that there's some sort of cultural crisis or sort yeah. of identity crisis, and we need to do something big to shake it up. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't shake up stuff that's fragile. So I think that stability is definitely that's my choice.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll agree with stability. At the end of the day, I, I still think sexism is a huge play in here, but at the same time, it was just it was people with nothing left to lose and willing to test the boundaries of a system that. Uh, they see as not serving them or that it has been kind of in a stasis for a while and needs to be shooken up.
3: Absolutely. All right. So we've gotten through the first round. We're going to kind of speed through the rest of these because we already talked about all these. So our matchups now for why did Trump get elected? We have the inherent flaws and stability of our society versus uh, the rise of global nationalism. Uh, The Internet broke our brains versus this was a protest vote. Uh, The extremism on the right rise versus anyone but Hillary would have won. And the complexity uh, argument versus racism. We're racist. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) let's take first the internet broke our brains versus protest vote. Um, I'm going to just say internet broke our brains. uh, The idea that we really can't reason anymore because of all this fucking fake news uh, versus this enthusiastic embrace of something different. Um, I don't know. I think some people saw... I think I'm going to go with... The internet broke our brains because some people really saw Trump as a correction, not a protest vote. And I think they saw it as a correction because the internet broke our brains.
2: Right. I think, yes, 100%. We're just oversaturated with the internet at a point where we can't... People used to just wake up in the morning and read a a newspaper, and then they inform their decisions and let those decisions digest. Now you're just... Your phone is shooting stuff at you. You're you're at a computer at work where you have access to Wikipedia, news, any news forum... Yeah, as opposed to yeah, certainly some people were voting in a protest vote, but I think we got to Donald Trump because the he is the natural outcome of the crazy shitstorm that is the internet.
3: And I understand protest vote to the extent that you know a lot of people were enthusiastic about Trump because he doesn't sound like a politician. We're sick of politicians, and that's actually I think a pretty reasonable response to feel frustration with that. But to actually go so far as supporting Trump above, I mean, if you're a conservative, you know they chose Trump above 15 other or 16 other candidates that. We're more qualified and more right. conservative. So I think that because we, we were so cynical, Trump was a very open conspiracy theorist. And the
2: idea of even letting that stuff fly on TV. I'm still good. so mad that we didn't get confirmation that Ted Cruz's dad killed JFK. Well, maybe that's part of the still redacted, some left Yeah, in there. But that's right. the one he would have told the to release, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what you would
3: say if you killed him. Exactly. Uh, let's do the idea of. Um, the, the complexity and the fact that Trump was able to offer a simple solution to the world versus uh, we're racist. Um, I actually, I think, I have my answer here. Brian, what do you think? S- the simplicity of Trump's narratives uh, as a uh, salve mm-hmm. against the complexity of our modern world versus the racism, the enduring racism of our
2: modern uh, world. I'm thinking very very cautiously and very hard about this. Um, that being said, I, obviously, I do think Donald Trump uses racist and invective rhetoric and is is inherently racist but I do think that it was the simplicity of his message that was digestible it's kind of a hard matchup because I think the simplicity of it was tied up a little bit with ra- like racist racism yeah. overtones but I think the simplicity that is the overtone that's the over overarching he had a simple message he stayed on message and articulated a simple point of view some of them some simple points of view some of them being racist uh, yeah. I'm going to go very
3: hard on racism. Oh, think, really? Yeah. I think, it, I think that racism was primarily... The, I think Trump was fun- primarily a function of racism in the uh, United States. Because complexi- this, the idea that he was g- putting forth a simplistic narrative was a tactic. It's a tactic of a demagogue. Um, we get all manner of successful politicians, including Obama, like you said, that puts forth simplistic arguments uh, that reduces down scary complexity into accessible narratives. Trump was drafted by his the movement of his eventual supporters, partly because they were racist. The only reason why you can get, I mean, put it this way: this is, I think, my my main Trump card uh, on this uh, is that the country, by most metrics, was doing pretty well, especially among Trump voters. I mean, you right. can always say that you know the prosperity, um, you know, the stock market run of the, you know since the crisis mm-hmm. in two thousand nine. Um, you know, has mostly which has wiped out our debt. Yeah, which is wiped out, according to Trump, um, has has uh, benef- not benefited everyone, but it has benefited a lot of Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. They've they have felt that, and so the reason why there was the need for the urgency that Trump said the, the outright white nativism, mm-hmm. I think, was a, a straight up backlash to having a, 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 de- a black president. Um, he started his political career with a very overtly racist um, overture, yep. which was that Obama was born in Kenya. Yep, um, He perpetuated it with his immigration. I mean, the wall. His sign- all of his signature yeah. stuff is based on pure racism. Yeah. I think that the the reason why Trump people could look past the red flags that he clearly had um, and saw him as some sort of solution was that this is urgent. And the reason it was urgent was because the society is coming out of our control and um, we have to get it back. And I think that in, inherent in the idea of racism and, and a, a backlash against Obama is the idea, very powerful and very, t- you know, more will be coming out of this, that the white people are losing their monopoly m- over society. And, yeah. And I think that that's a, going to be a narrative that we're going to see more of.
2: You, you've, uh, you've sold me on racism. Racism is the right answer here. Okay. And, uh. and
3: by the way, solving racism with, nas- with, with white identity politics is a, a form of complexity um, reduction, right? Uh, but I think that Trump is a racist artifact. Yep. In our society. Uh, let's go to the extremism on the right versus anyone but Hillary would have won. I'm definitely going to choose extremism on the right over this. Oh, for sure. Uh, over over Hillary, but just being yeah, a flawed I candidate. Because she uh, was, but uh, part uh, of the uh, reason she was so flawed was because they were so whipped up into a lather by Republican media. That right.
2: Yeah. That Republican media on cable news networks republican media on the internet uh republican media everywhere or th- that that were activated in this specific way and and more impassioned in a way and tapped into a similar environment that that obama tapped into except on the other side um but yeah it, I, I agree it's extremism on the right where they they also inv- you know the, the that's why the overton window has come uh, come into conversation so much in in the the common vernacular of talking about politics is that they've just been able to move the yardstick so far to the right. Whereas Hillary Clinton, if you just didn't, if you just took out the person and just went on a policy basis, you'd be like, Oh, this is George HW yeah, Bush, absolutely. Uh, you know, or so a palatable Fiscal conservative with a a mind for compassionate compassion towards all people in America. Yeah, so a
3: fiscal conservative, more or less, uh, pro business. Yeah, right. So, so and the fact that they couldn't see her as that and that she had all those negatives was because I think. Of
2: and her. I also think just because I've I've finally finished the Jane Meyer uh, Dark Money book uh, about how the Koch brothers essentially just turned this country insane. Um, that's also why I'm inclined to the extreme, extreme Republicanism, or right. extreme conservatism. Perfect. Yep. Uh,
3: then we got the uh, stability argument versus uh, global nationalism, the rise of global nationalism. Um, I think that stability, uh, that's a tough one, because the stability, the argument with stability, again, is that we we really are going to be fine no matter who we elect uh, versus this sort of m- international trend. I'm going to give the edge personally to global nationalism only because while I think that the idea that we could uh, ha- cast a protest vote because of stability is something is important on a macro level I think that wasn't on a lot of people's minds whereas global nationalism and the and the, and the trend towards global nationalism is h- how so much of the story so many of the versions of the story
2: of Trump are going to be written that that's my vote. This is this is very complicated because I think both of these issues are tied up with each other where I think what the trend that's going on in America is clearly going on across the world. And I think actually the idea of people protesting against the stability is more evident. You, you alluded to it in, in Egypt where, the, I mean, certainly the Egyptian scenario was a scenario of extreme extremism and extreme poverty. But I think People were just like, well, we live in this global society now, and it's more easier than ever to have access to information or access to resources, uh, whether you live in a uh, global South country or a, uh, a what would formerly be called third world country, or live in a first world country. So you're you're, you're running up against uh, trends, or running up against trying. Hey, let's just try something new. I mean, the idea that like. Greece elected a an anarcho-Marxist to you know, <laughs> to the finance minister, like things that were unthinkable ten years ago are thinkable now, and that's I think that's the n- nature of the uh, stability. the stability argument. But uh, global nationalism, I think, is is the is the winner at the end of the day because yeah, ego- I think we just I think as also kind of similar to the ecological argument, but it's like as resources get it, as it becomes realized that oh resources are scarce, uh, we have to figure out a way to protect. protect our own people uh and we can't just have people flooding across borders and we have to figure out we have to read in a global culture we have to redefine what our nation is in a way in a way that we can we can get anywhere but should we (laughs) right and and, and this stability versus global nationalism
3: matchup kind of puts together something that's essentially uh a motivation founded in leisure and like an exploration versus urgency. And I think that national, global nationalism is a very urgent idea, which is that we need to reclaim, you know, we, I heard an interesting thing, uh, from, uh, I don't know if it was Denmark. I think it was Denmark, but someone was saying Denmark can be multi-racial. It can never be multicultural. We have one culture. You can come from anywhere, but you gotta be part of the culture. You gotta assimilate. And, um, it's a concept that sounds, it would never fly in America to say that. I think that, you know, but Hey, that's one approach to it. And if people aren't assimilating, um, then there's that urgency. So I think that global nationalism definitely, um, the, 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 the tide of seeing other people cast votes for that. I mean, Trump certainly made a lot of that on the, on the campaign trail. He predicted Brexit. He was in Scotland for Brexit. Um, and uh,
2: Was he at his golf course?
3: Yeah, mm. he was. For which they made up a, uh, there's a Trump family coat of arms flying, or no, Trump has a family coat of arms that he made up. He stole it from someone else. But and um, he was not allowed to fly so it much at his
2: golden water fountains. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> but uh, he was not allowed to fly it at his golf course in Scotland because they actually have crests, family crests there, and uh, it was basically just d- 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 a dis- Affront
2: <laughs> um, to their heritage of yeah. Of coats it was of a, arms. it was
3: a they because they have coats of armor there, and it was an affront to the idea of that to ha- let him fly something that he completely made up on his own. So. All right, so now we have our final four. Uh, why did Trump get elected? We have racism, extremism on the right. Those are, that's the one matchup. Uh, plus global nationalism versus uh, the Internet has broken our brains.
2: <laughs> I really i am rooting for the, the Internet breaking our brains. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a dark
3: horse. I didn't see that coming at first. I thought it was going to be racism. That was a
2: Cinderella story all the way.
3: All right, so uh, let's, let's do it. Let's go into it.
1: Y'all ready for this?
2: Let's get into it, and let's get into it by inviting a third party into this Final Four. One of the biggest college basketball fans I know. <laughs> that is true. Crooked Meg.
3: Welcome Hello. to the license.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: Crooked Meg,
3: you are going to be here for our Final Four and then Championship um, matchup.
2: Uh, Crooked Meg is a type of referee, third party observer, and also mm-hmm. opiner. Mm-hmm. Opiner, where necessary, to kind of break break things up if things get too violent here in the licensed podcast zone.
3: Uh, Crooked Meg, thanks for joining us. How's the last year been for you? Pretty goddamn depressing.
0: Yeah. Pretty goddamn depressing, and um, every day surprises me more than the last, and, um, you know, can't believe it's been a year.
3: Great to hear it. <laughs> uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us to, to weigh in on what the definitive reason that Trump got elected is. It's and this is one. the final authority. This, this is, is the fi- yeah, this is like the Supreme this will be
2: This will be put into history books
3: across mm-hmm, the nation. Mm-hmm. She also has uh, judicial review, so she could say that, like, other parts of the podcast that we already recorded have to be taken out. So. Great. Yeah. Uh, don't get uh, drunk with power. <laughs> All right, so let's do the final two matchups, uh, and then we'll do the, the championship round uh so we have racism versus extremism on the right. Which one was more responsible for donald trump um this is a
2: This is an c- incredible matchup
3: It is because they're very related to each other uh you were just talking about how basically uh they're kind of the same they're t- two sides of the coin like right. so much extremism on the right is. You, I think it uses racism as right. a tactic. Um, but I also think that extremism on the right is a broader concept that has to do with adherence to free market fundamentalism, um, You know, this sort of football mentality, like you said, where there's one team versus another. And
2: also, th- I think this brings up another point where this is the inherent contradiction that we've talked about before, where previously racism was veiled in that extreme rightism, where they, they were like, we don't have to explicitly say this is racist. And the way that Jeff Sessions is like, dude, don't say that. No, that, that was that was the total cloak. We, 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 we're not going to be explicit about this. We're going to, obviously, in execution, we're going to be racist about it. But in order to sell this bill of goods to the rest of the country and to even just rational thinking people, we got to veil it in this idea of like, hey, no, we just care about, hey, you just, you earned that. You, you earned that. You don't want to give away what you earned to somebody else, some other kind of person, right? Yeah. That, 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 so that's, I think that's why this is such a tough issue. Um, I but there, I think that's, that's uh, at the end of the day, it's the extreme right conservatism. Or did you interpret right. it?
0: No, I, I think that's, that's still happening, though, right? I mean, wouldn't you argue that a lot of the people that you know that voted for Donald Trump, perhaps, you know, for sure. tr- traditional conservatives, they would they would kind of still see it that, or they not would, see it that they way. They would, but they built a
2: coalition with people that are willing to go out and openly say, I am a Nazi and I enjoy <laughs> being a Nazi. True. <laughs> the, so that was and, a doozy. Yeah, and, uh, uh, yeah, and even the Klan, which is like, you know what, why don't we just take hoods off, everybody? Uh, we won. We don't even need the hoods anymore, which was the explicit cowardly reason we needed these is because we couldn't let the public writ large see that I was openly... Terrorizing people in my community. Uh, the, the Actually, I heard it was because
3: uh, they there was legends among slaves that ghosts used to ride around and steal their souls and kill people. So they the early people that were trying to terrorize black people would dress like the ghosts to like reinforce those myths and keep them inside. Interesting. That's a theory that I read. Um, yeah, I think that the racism also is a little bit more fundamental and, and like uh, historical of a reason. I, not that it's not. Persistent, but just that, like, it doesn't, uh, it's not a new construct. In other words, the extremism on the right, you know, wh- when I think of that, I think of like Rush Limbaugh and the idea of like, y- it uses white identity politics, but it also uh, enforces these weird narratives. Racism is a very fundamental, built in part of this country. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time seeing Donald Trump's. Entry and legitimacy in politics as anything but um, of a completely racist backlash. The other thing is that I think that extremism on the right is w- was for a long time sort of in hoc with establishment politics. But uh, see, they were, they were really big fans of Trump too. What I was going to say was Trump completely came out of left field and wasn't part of the Fox News sphere necessarily. He was part of Fox and Friends, but not, you know, the, like Rupert Murdoch didn't like him, for example. So th- there's nothing else institutional about him, but there's something very institutional about racism
2: and the hatred of Obama. Is, is this a category where what happens is both teams protest the NCAA <laughs> and fuse <laughs> into one team where they become extreme right racists? Yeah, maybe. and the, And that's, they're, become, they're like, let's become a super team. They're like, wait, hold on. Let's not face off against each other. Let's team up.
3: Yeah, I think... This is I that think that's kind of what of happened. Case. I
2: think this is what the natural outcome is that actually these two teams or these two reasons we got Donald Trump teamed up with each other and formed a coalition super team much like the Avengers.
0: So just so I understand is the the championship contender yeah. extreme racism? Uh extreme,
2: extreme right, right racism. racism.
3: Yes, you yeah, that's correct. They um, they, have
2: they have they uh, have eschewed most normal contests that we invented today to Sir, this is like <laughs> if, if
3: Colin Kaepernick was like about to play a game against a team that Anquan Bolden was on because he's uh, been very woke recently, and like also they were like, hey, let's just actually join the same team, and also let's bring in Jim Brown and LeBron, um, and Bobby Carlos. So yeah, that this is a super team. Uh, <laughs> late breaking news: <laughs> change your lineups. Uh, okay, on the other side of the spectrum, going up against this behemoth is another the, uh, t- Titanic matchup. The Rise of Global Nationalism versus The Internet Broke Our Brains. Meg, what do you here's, think?
0: Here's what I think. I think, um, I think I go with The Internet Broke Our Brains, and I think that is the winner in this matchup because I think a lot of people wouldn't know about this global nationalist movement if not enabled by the Internet and the access to all the information that we have, and people are so overwhelmed by that and don't understand it um, so that they're kind of creating some either like false, like some incorrect solutions or I, I, I don't know. I I, I,
3: I I think that's a pr- pretty good read actually. I mean like w- how, what is global nationalism except for a function of internet news coming to us and the ability to read, for example, if you thought if you're some voter in Alabama and you're a dumbass and you vote for Donald Trump, the only way you're going to know that this, that like Brexit is, uh, you know, something that's, signals your route to victory is if it's editorialized to you that way on some news site they're reading. So the internet breaking your brains is how global nationalism can reach you.
1: Well,
2: I I mostly agree with that, except for there are certain exceptions in what's going on. You could look to the YPG in Syria. You could look to Catalonia, what's going on in Catalan right now as far as a separatist kind of liberal movement that's going on. Uh, that's a certainly, there's nationalist movements on both sides of the spectrum that are going on, but I guess at the end of the day, I will have to agree that that really is only coming to me through the filter of the internet, which has also broken my brain and it's <coughs> filtered through uh, just an edit, the editorial means that come to me, whether it's through Twitter or Facebook or just me reading. And
3: also, can you imagine Donald Trump, Trump in a world in which people were good at telling good information from bad Absolutely not. No, he, yeah, he the reason no why, why we, we were
2: silenced during that was because yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's it, it's, a, it's a real it's a real showstopper because he would have, it would have stopped, the circus would have stopped long ago, like you, it would have, it would have had we not had access to the internet or clips of, uh, or like or had the John Q public not been filtered this through, the way that internet aggregation works and the way that just like kind of targeted marketing for certain political. Uh, trends works so then yeah yeah totally yeah. alright so we are at our
3: alright we're at the final round did you guys ever think that we would make it this far did you ever no. think you'd see this country try to kill itself alright our final matchup to answer the question how did we end up electing Donald Trump one year ago today
0: oh man I know what's gonna happen I know
3: <laughs> is extreme, extreme right, right racism <laughs> versus the internet broke, broke our brains? <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Um, yeah,
2: I mean, both of these things are true. Like we are stupid people. People talk about the EMP bomb going off like it's a bad thing, and I fantasize about it, it. every day. I just, just think cutting just, it all. Off. Just cut it off. I might die. I probably will. I I can't forage for food or figure out a way to eat the squirrels in Prospect Park. I do have a dog that can help me in that endeavor, so maybe I will survive. But to be honest with you, let's just wipe out the internet and start (laughs) all over again. And we'll probably get back there. I think in about twenty years. (laughs) There's a lot of content on there. A lot of good stuff. Yeah, we'll we'll just yeah. I'll miss certain elements to it for sure. But I think we should just (laughs) start over. I certainly hate extreme right racism in every way, but I think the internet is what enabled it all. And I, can you I imagine agree. if
3: the uh, if the internet was just like the first draft of the internet? And we had to do it over again. We would do it <laughs> so much better. So much would be. I think, a, think a lot of people. What are would be drunk? different? What what do a you? A lot of would blogs d- would be gone, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Including
2: our form.
1: <laughs> <one.
3: laughs> we'd, we'd settle on like a few adult sites. we were like, we don't need all of them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, there was a there was a lot of surplus adult content on there. A bunch of like weird fat guys with mustaches, like, ah, oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> um, there, yeah. All right, so I, yeah, I gotta, I mean. The internet broke our brains. It did break our brains. Uh, And also, the, like, Republicans have completely imploded as a functional party. They have no
2: useful praxis. They have completely fantastical ideas. Um, Well, I, I think both... Okay, so I think this is where they both kind of the extension... So the Republicans, in the sense that they fall in line, kind of came together and still stuck to a narrative, whether it was embracing people that were white nationalists or embracing people that were racist or embracing people that had some crazy weird ideas like this libertarian anarcho-capitalism or whatever it is, but they still kind of built this big tent in an internet society, whereas the democratic ethos like and the democratic show. philosophy is more built on a deconstructive a way of debate. They're the people on the internet that are kind of constantly just like debating each other and, and trolling each other. The right people certainly do too, but at the end of the day they can kind of coalesce around the idea. It's like, well, at the end I, and uh, I mean the coalescing catalyst might be extreme right racism, but <laughs> but I think the internet enables that yeah. that function. Yeah. So, I think I got to blame it on the internet. Yeah, I agree. I I agree too.
3: I mean, I like you don't really have the 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 complete virulence on the right without the internet having broken brains. I mean, that's there's been other eccentric candidates before, but we only went for this one because it was like no one could tell what was what. It,
2: here's the issue. Here's my issue and the reason why the internet broke our brains is because formerly politics was about community. and for, Politics was about – you had to establish coalitions by going out and meeting with people in person, whether it was you as a politician or you at a community meeting or you as a person that just had to form an idea. You had to – actually engage with other people face yeah, to face. Yeah, and
0: debate people. And yeah. Debate I mean, people yeah, yeah, yeah. and have a yeah, way yeah.
2: and have a way to base somebody and have some form right. of empathy for the person right. that you're talking to. The internet takes away that facade completely. Right. So you can just kind of be an internet troll that gets stuck in this vicious cycle where you just get thrown in a basement and you have no economic means right. or no economic outlet and you all of a sudden find a bunch of other common minded people because you've just been Fed this content through this cyclical uh, machine that's that's engineered to make your brain stupid uh, and and just consume similar content. And I'm certainly guilty of this as well, but uh, to the extent of that, I hope I have a, a, an ability to think higher and engage people. And, uh, and I, I am a participant in a community to the extent that I can be. Uh, and I, I that's that's my theory is that the, that it it takes away the empathy and political community of a society and just turns people into reading these reactionary vitriolic hate speech kind of things mm-hmm. and actually letting it override their b- their better sensibility you know, uh, like and and engage in a political process and engage in society in a meaningful way
0: yeah yeah
3: I think. I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree, and I think that another thing that's worth mentioning about the idea that the internet broke our brains is that what it re- refers to is like this glut of content and the, uh, the inability to sift through content, and there's another important factor that led to Trump that we haven't talked about, which is kind of baked into this, which is that the media has been uh, sort of corrupted. The idea that the economics has, has totally changed the, uh, the way that we, we receive information um the on the right there's been the the build up of this uh, extremism that has totally uh, devolved into um, just like a shouting match. but the other thing that happened was that as the economics of mainstream established journalism that actually had respectable ethics um, as that economics became less and less lucrative, the media class became more and more i think elite out of touch liberal um speaking to themselves a little bit more, uh, you stopped getting sort of like the same class of people that were, would become policemen, would become journalists. Like in the old days, that was the case. Right. Nowadays, because, uh, the economics of, uh, the mainstream media have declined, it's become something more like less of a business and more of sort of like a charity water or something, you know, like this... This um, passion project that you have to afford to be able to go to J school for a million dollars a year, right? And so I think that the media has, at the same time, uh, th- on the right, it's totally started pandering in this really unconstructive way, and on the left, um, it started becoming this just this internecine I- interfacing battle that really alienated a lot of other people. So um, the the media class's uh, isolation from from other people, I think, kind of led to this, and there was a lot of space that opened up for the internet to break our brains because we don't know... All of a sudden, you want the real story that's not being told by, you know, elite uh, reporters who are worried about conventions you don't care about. And when you you get pushed that by Facebook content algorithms, you just take it like water in the desert.
2: And you're only a CSS-style sheet away from your site looking just as professional as CNN or The New York Times or MSNBC... You can just, even you, it's all available because the wild west of the internet, you can just download or rip the code and with a couple of YouTube tutorials, figure out a way to make your website, which is also kind of hilarious because a lot of extreme right websites are still like complete trash looking and it's like. You understand this would take like fifteen minutes of work to make this look like a modern website, <laughs> and and they don't. It still looks like an Angel Fire website from <laughs> nineteen ninety nine. Garage report. <laughs> uh, and so,
0: so I agree with what you guys are saying, and I don't know if maybe you talked about this already, um, in regards to the internet broke our brains. But I mean, isn't Donald Trump kind of the symbol of, the, or like the icon of the internet breaking? His certainly his I own brain, but like <laughs> yeah. TV all of our broke. brains. The TV I mean, he, broke his the brain, but like the internet TV, is like. But the also, hyper- I mean, yeah. his. I mean, he's the first like president, obviously, to rely so heavily on a tool like Twitter to get his message out. Good and part. like, we
3: didn't talk about that at all. Actually, social media
2: and his Twitter.
3: Right.
0: Views. I mean.
2: Shows that we got some real blind spots. On got some podcast. blind spots on his <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I think I. You're right. Uh, and I think that, yeah, his, his – well, the, the, that's the hilarious thing. People venerate or we talk about this as as the millennials in the workforce where you hear older people talk about, we got to engage in social media and oh, so, social, yeah. social media is the way to do it. It's like certainly it is a tool, but this like – Alzheimer's patient moron is the one who used it to the most effective way possible to ascend to the highest office of the strongest military power on the planet. And so it's it's not this panacea. Where it's like, so it was treated, and I certainly our generation is guilty of this too, which drove me nuts. And is like we're finally all realizing and reacting against Silicon Valley, where it's like at first we're like, finally, we live in this post- S- Silicon Valley utopia, where like we can all debate ideas in this public forum. It's like, oh, it turns out just a a, a, a dumbass with a cell phone can, can and enough and enough uh, disrespect to his own society can just go jump on there and be like, Duh, Kristen Stewart should should have dumped or Robert Pattinson, uh, you know, like get getting into like celebrity feuds and then also be like, also I should be president and be like, you know what. You should be president. <laughs> <laughs> and he is. And he is. Yeah. And he is. Yeah. Oh, God damn it.
3: Yeah. Right, uh, Meg, do you have any uh, closing thoughts?
0: Uh, I don't. Um, I, thanks for having me on. I can't wait to listen to this on, on the subway uh, later this week. On the,
2: on the terrible subway that de Blasio made terrible.
3: All right, so, Brian, how do we get Trump elected
2: president? Well, everyone, we've come to conclusive decision that the internet has broken our brains. It's the reason why you have this podcast in your ears right now. Uh, you know, there were a lot of reasons why we have Donald Trump, but the ultimate conclusive one is the internet has broken our brains. It has subsumed everything else, including the racism, sexism, electoral fraud, electoral flaws, the uh,
3: ecological disaster that's ecolog- coming, the incoming- spread of global nationalism, The PC backlash, the fact that the media is trash and our culture sucks, uh, the fact that people wanted to cast a protest vote—all of it is just because the internet has just irreparably fucked us up. Yep. And with that, we will leave you to your labor camps. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Crook and Meg, thank you for joining us. Thanks Thanks for having me. All right. uh, This is Lenny DeFranco and Brian Pasano. Brian Pasano. Starting
2: off <laughs> S- License See you later
1: This is our fight song hey. Take back my life